Welcome to the Cinefunks Podcast Collective. Our guest, Heidi. How do you say your name? Sam- Heidi Saman. Heidi Saman, director, writer, Heidi Saman. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. This is really cool. This is really awesome having you here. Yeah, I think you are, I think only the third, fourth, fourth director we've had. Fourth on show. director, counting Total. documentary makers. Well, I was about to say, you're the only. Um, uh, fiction feature director right? Brendan Everyone else we've had on Brendan Brendan's a producer Oh right He hasn't directed anything yet I mean he's produced a lot of Johns Like no yeah. disrespect to Brendan My man There Hubbard Yeah Our man is awesome I, I, yeah. yeah I heard some of that one Yeah, yeah Brendan Hubbard done a is, lot. Yeah. He's done a lot of projects yeah. But I, I just think When it comes to specifically to directors We had Frank Pavichon But that's all documentary mm-hmm. uh, John Woods for The New Breed doc Mm-hmm uh, our guys for Salad Days doc, like mostly music docs. Actually. Yeah, mostly music documentaries, which is pretty funny because <laughs> you know it's movies and, mo- and music. It's kind of our thing. It's true, but you are the first. You're the first act- director of a film that's like not that's not a documentary on our show. Yeah. So hope that's not too much pressure to put on I you. I know, my God, we're putting I so much pressure on you. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, there's probably a lot of things that we could ask, but I just want to start with, um, I had read that you did English, is that right, in your undergrad? Yeah, literature. Yeah, literature. And then you went to film school Temple. Yes. And then it was a bit of a transition uh, from that to making your first feature. Although I do, actually, let's start actually with the first the uh, short, The Maid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about sort of getting that made, knowing that, I think, I think I could name on one hand the listeners to the show who've ever actually like made a movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was the same thing with Brendan. Like, talk to us a little about the process. Like, talk to us a little about about that because, and that was a was that your stu- was that a student film? It was. The Maid was my thesis film out of Temple. So I did my master's in fine arts at Temple, and um, you have to do a thesis film to graduate. And I had always wanted to make this, like my thesis in Cairo, Egypt, where my parents are from. Sure. And so I kept it in my head and finally wrote it and then um, went to shoot it and got a producer there. And in Cairo. In Cairo, yeah. Right. I stayed there for about five weeks. My cinematographer is someone I went to college with. She's oh, shot, sure, yeah. She shot all of my films. That's awesome. Um, all of my films. There's two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, but I have I've had other short films. So she um, she came with me, and yeah, I had a couple. Uh, one person come with me from Temple, who's my assistant director, and yeah, I mean you 
you make a film thinking like, okay, this is my, they always say your short film is your calling card out of school. And sure. I never, I didn't really think about it that way. It was, it was just something I really wanted to do. And I, I think looking back, I, it's, uh, it was a very pure reason. Like I just yeah, went totally. in wanting to make it and see what would happen. And, and we did it. What was it like shooting in Cairo? Yeah, like how did it feel? Like were you like psyched or nervous or what? Like It was, you know, every film culture, I, I think everywhere you go, every country has a different film culture. And Egypt had one that was very different from what my peers were used to. Right. Um, I, I'm i okay with it, but I think for like my camera person, my, my cinematographer, she was a little confused by why are there like six people doing something that like, three of us could do so they have more people on set sure. than is normal mm-hmm. um but they they're also i i think a lot more fun and don't take it as seriously and i really enjoyed that yeah that, i needed that because things like can get pretty serious and heavy and uh nobody's really taking themselves too seriously but there's a lot of like i hate to say you know we we're shooting in real streets we we're not shooting on any sets i prefer it that way also yeah. and uh my producers just giving money to people in the background just to keep walking and not look at the camera. So it's just little things like that where you're like, Oh God, this is, you know, it's, it's all kind of happening yeah. and you don't know all the little things that are happening to make it look seamless. What, what year was that that you were working on this in? So I shot it in 2007 and okay. then, um, I finished it in January, 2008 Okay. And then submitted it to festivals, yeah, like two weeks after I finished it. And how did the festival run go for it? So I had a very unusual experience in that the first festival I submitted it to, I, I got in. Oh, okay. What was the first festival? It was Cannes. Holy shit. Yeah. So, so you just were like, hey, Cannes. It was very strange. No way. Um, so it was a very, like, right out of the gate. Um, yeah. I, I had actually, fi- you know, I... With all due respect to my advisors at Temple, um, I had, you know, they sort of said, oh, one of them said, oh, you gave it a good try. You know, you tried to make it work and uh, sort of let me go. And I graduated and I was really frustrated with that comment because I thought I can really finish this film. I think there's something here. So without showing it to anyone, I worked on it and did my own thing and then uh, put it on a DVD and mailed it to Cannes. And then two weeks later, I got a. I, someone from France was trying to call me, and I thought, <laughs> "What's going on? Why does this person keep calling?" And then I got an email, and it was you know one of the people there saying, "We're we've been trying to contact you. Are you the director of the, this film, the short film, The Maid? We'd like to speak with you." And I thought, "Oh my god, oh my god, this is so weird." And so I just emailed them back and said, "Yes, it's me. It's me. You can call me." And he said, "You know, will this would this film be the premiere? Would you be premiering this?" And I said. Yes, I I just finished it two weeks ago. And he said, well, we would like to be the first people who screen it. This wow. is a, a wonderful film. And so wow. that yeah, is amazing. Uh, strange. It was like, you know, no one expects that. I, mm-hmm. I sort of. Did you yeah. then email that uh, professor and be like, ah, yeah. <laughs> a picture of your middle finger. Just not. like, hey, man, <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I guess it just goes to show that like I, it was one of those lessons of like, follow your intuition. I kind of knew. I had to mess with it a little bit and I was the editor on it. So I had a little more sure yeah. uh, I could mess with it in a way that I felt like I can really figure this out, you yeah. know? So I did it ever get made into a full length. You know, I, I thought it might, and then I didn't, I just, no. I felt like it was the story. It was, it was kind of a long short film. It's 19 minutes. So mm-hmm. that's not a, that's a, 
kind of a, a strange length for a short. Um, yeah. But I felt typically like they run like excited. eleven minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of felt like this was the right length for what it was, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then how long between that and no more? It took a while. So you know, I, I started writing something you know afterwards and. Um, just didn't quite get it off the ground. And I was so consumed with like make having an income and having a full-time job. And I, I just, and I'm still kind of going through some degree of this. It's like fully committing to the artist thing is, is difficult to do financially and mentally too. You were, you were working at fresh air at the time. You know, at the time I may not have been working at fresh air. I started fresh air in 2010. Okay. And so, um, talk about that. What's that like? Um, it's a great gig. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it a lot. I feel like they're family there. And, um, so I, I'm an associate producer there and I'm also the week, uh, one of the fresh air weekend producers. So, um, that means I'm doing research and I'm cutting the interviews. We work in pro tools Mm -hmm. and then, um, for weekend it's, you know, putting the show together and writing copy and kind of getting it all together. So it's, it's a great gig. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's a well-oiled machine, and it's nice to be a part of something that just works mm-hmm. so well. I don't know if I want to ask you about uh, Terry Gross or Dave Davies. Like, I don't know which. <laughs> oh, both. I oh love them gosh. dearly. Oh, they both seem so cool. They're so cool. <laughs> definitely definitely Terry Gross. Dave Davies, I can never tell. Like, do I like you as much as Terry <laughs> Dave is a sweetheart. Oh, my gosh. He's just... He seems, he seems like... So but he's, sweet. But he seems like, a, uh, in some ways, like... Maybe this is my view of like a Philly thing. Like he mm. seems like a boss guy. Like he seems like the kind of dude that like if you were with an important person on the mm. golf course, they'd see him and be like, Oh look, there's Dave Davies. Hey Dave. Like he just seems like that guy. You know what I mean? He he does play golf. Oh, um yeah. yeah, he just he's he's just like he's from Texas. I just I wanna hug him every time sure. I see him. He's just such a sweet man and he's got a different style than terry but it's i like it too you know like yeah. i just like the way they do things and um well and yeah. i think i i think that his role he doesn't it seems like because he is often the fill-in person he doesn't get as much shine as terry and i feel kind of bad for him about that you know but it's hard because terry is like the interviewer yeah. and is so audacious like she will just say whatever she feels like is the thing to say in that moment and a lot of people won't do that you know i really i'm so happy to hear you say that because i i see what dave does and it's it's a hard job yeah uh, you know to you know it, it the, the show is named you know she For is sure, in the Terry title Gross, yeah. and so um what he does is no small task yeah and um it's nice when people when you recognize he gets that recognition because he works so hard and he's such a team player and He's doing all the work, reading the books, writing the copy. Like he's he in also, there. He also makes me want to work on my radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I could be Dave Davies. This is this is Liam O'Donnell filling in for Dave Davies. I could never. I could never. <laughs> Again, also because of the reason. I mean, that's part of the thing. It feels like, and I'm asking you to. I'm asking you to break kayfabe here. It feels like Terry reads all the books. That that's not just like, I summarized the book for you, Terry. Just read the summary. It feels like she's actually read like every book. That is true for Dave as well. Um, wow. 
increasing. It's a lot of reading. It's so I, much. It's a lot of reading, but I, I, I have to say, um, Sam Brigger, our books producer, okay. has been doing some of more of the reading um, okay. in some sense where he's kind of summarizing and kind of getting everything. And then she's essentially reading the book, but Sam is really kind of giving her some of those things to read just simply because um, since Trump, I think the news cycle is just a lot more frenetic. It's crazy. And yeah. it's it's hard to, I, I sense it's been harder to keep up with everything. I want to take a quick backup to Temple. Mm-hmm. Do you know Michael Kinnemeyer? Yes. That's my stepbrother. Get out. Side note. He was one of my professors. <laughs> I figured he was. He's so sweet. <laughs> he I know his wife sweetest. as well. He was yep. not the one that told you not to submit, right? No. <laughs> no. Not Kudemeyer. Oh. And not. have you met his kids, Rohan and Kiki? I have not met them. Oh, my God. They're the cutest. Oh <laughs> they must be if they're the products of Anola oh and Michael. I can't so even smart. imagine. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, the I've known... I mean, one of my um, inclinations of... Uh, when we were first starting this podcast of like, well, there's more stuff going on in Philly than people know about was seeing the long history of the term TV collective like, mm. since I was a kid. And most people just don't know that they existed, but they've been doing, I mean, it's weird. Let's fuck. It's weird <laughs> shit, but they've been doing it forever. And most Philadelphians like we wouldn't, no one thinks stuff comes out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Philly. You don't make stuff unless you're fucking Shyamalan. You don't right. make anything in Philly. <laughs> And that's not true. People are making things. It's just so not always true. getting that attention. Yeah. That, that's so true. You know, whereas like every time I meet, it, it feels like if you're in other parts of the country and you make something, then you automatically have some, you know, someone's in your thing that people know. Mm-hmm. You're automatically on some sort of circuit. You probably lived with somebody who's like famous now. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I know so-and-so, whatever. Philly, it's just different. Like we all know each other and whatever, but we're not, we don't have that automatic platform. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes your co-host of your podcast is in the Rocky movie Creed. Jesus Wait, what? <laughs> you were in Creed as an extra for like five <laughs> seconds. It's his finest screen work to date. Where? I hate you so much. I hate you so. <laughs> oh my god! Much. Wait, where was it? <laughs> the what? The part that's supposed to be this boxing ring, but it's actually the theater at Temple. Uh huh. They put the boxing ring in the middle. It used to be an old church, and now it's yeah, a theater. Oh, or whatever. I know it. Yeah. I'm like up in the back. You can't even see my face. But oh you can gosh. tell it's him because of his bod, and he's wearing Fred Perry. Oh my gosh! How was that set? I'm so curious how that set was. Uh, it felt like a chaotic mess in a way. I mean, I've I've only been to like small film sets. I'd never been to a real movie set before, mm-hmm. so anything's going to be impressive in a way to me. Right. But when I first got there, I'm like, this is a fucking cluster. Like nothing about it felt together mm. until the actual star showed up and then uh, Kugler shoot showed up. And then it felt like a real movie. Then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, we're on a movie set. Like <laughs> up until then, I'm like, it's just assholes wandering around. What's f- The thing about it that was unbelievable to me was how many extras were like headshot extras who've been on every episode of whatever is shooting in New York. Oh, wow. I was on this episode of SVU, and I was on this thing, and I was on that. Like, this is like what they do with their lives. They are extras. Yeah. But there was a number of people like me that are like, oh, my God, I've never done this before. (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird because, like, I don't think of myself as someone who's easily. Uh, who's easily kind of intimidated by that sort of thing. I will say there was a very Philly moment in a way that I did not love. What what happened? Did you fight somebody? No, no, no. So, uh, <laughs> so our man Michael B. Jordan comes out. Yeah, yeah. No recognition. No one uh, knows who he is. Wait, no, really? Nothing. 
Sylvester Stallone comes oh, out gosh. to a, I'm not even kidding, these are the extras on set, 10 minute standing ovations. Nice. Wow. Kugler had to a bit lit- much, right? Kugler had to know, literally start screaming to, to get them to Whoa. shut the fuck up yeah. so they could start filming. Because wow. they're all just like, ah, Rocky, Rocky, <laughs> ah. And I'm like, and literally when it was quiet and Kugler got everyone to settle down, I was like, my man was in Fantastic Four, y'all. <laughs> And nobody heard me except for like one PA. And he just looked over at me and was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, I'm just saying, like, it's not like Michael B. Jordan. Like, who's this asshole? Yeah. It's like, no, my man's know. been in a number of <laughs> movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sure Fantastic Four was terrible. But this is not. These, these <laughs> people were not cheering for Sylvester Stallone because they're art fans. Yeah, no. Yeah. They no, probably no, no. all saw Fantastic Four yeah. and they didn't even notice it was the same guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. And I mean, I, you know, one of those things I'm so curious. I asked about the set because I increasingly I'm so curious what a set is like for each director because I think directors handle sets differently. Sure. And I feel like it's their it's their home. Like yeah. Yeah. you know, it's like walking into their home and seeing how they move things and you know, where yeah. they put the, and so I'm so curious about how directors I, it felt to me and I don't know, but it felt to me like Kugler was very aware that this was an audience thing. Mm-hmm. We were interlopers and he was going to entertain us as part of this mm-hmm. and he was going to cheer us on and be coached you know you guys really got to get into it i need this from you i need that from you whatever whatever and that even in his interaction with the stars it felt a little bit for show like i'm like a ringleader off. type thing. i'm oh, directing dude. right now yeah, yeah 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 granted what do i know i didn't see him the other days <laughs> but it, i was like is this yeah. really how he is because it felt very performative yeah right Huh. Anyway, so anyway, that sorry. It's, that's not what no, we're here to talk moving about. Moving on, moving on. As usual, on. Josh derails the conversation. I do it so well, though. I do it so well. It's because Liam is in Creed. But anyway, <laughs> let's get let's get into no more. Yeah. Was Black Star Film Fest the premiere, or where did it premiere? It premiered at the Los Angeles Film Festival. Whoa, yeah. awesome! Yeah. Jeez, How long did that take to shoot? And I assume you shot that. Is that California? It looks we like shot California it in California, in, Santa in Los Angeles, and Orange County. Oh, okay, wow. so we did. A combination because I'm from Orange County and we actually shot sure. shot it in my parents' house or at wow. formerly their house. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. amazing. Yeah, huh. yeah, it saved us some money and so you started work. You started working on this when you were working at Fresh Air, or I did, I did. I started. Um, I had written the script. It took me a while to write it, but I had written it, and then I w- started going out to funders and was having a really hard time getting money for mm. it um and i was feeling really discouraged and so i said you know what i'm gonna do a kickstarter my actually my husband said do a kickstarter um yeah. joel uh joel tannenbaum you know joel tannenbaum. Um, good he dude was, he was like do never, this never heard of him <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just he was like do this the, the punk rock way like do yeah. a kickstarter and so i did a kickstarter and um it was very difficult to do. It was, I mean, arguably, I, I always say it's like running for office, I yeah. imagine. Um, but it was so hard and yeah. um, and it succeeded. And then th- coming from th- that was kind of the, it got the ball rolling. It got the ball rolling and um, I did the Sundance intensive workshop and then just started to feel I got the right producer and there we went, you know. I mean, raising the money was by far and away the hardest thing I've ever done. That seems to be like the hard thing for most directors, it is. right? Like we were talking to a friend of the show, Charles Smith the third, who just mm-hmm. directed a movie called Zeros. And I was like, what's the hardest thing about raising the money? And he's like, well, you got to get the money. And then you got to lawyer up to protect the money. And he was just like, it's just so much stuff that I'm not used to. It's so and true. That sounds pretty intense. Man. It's so true. And I, I, 
with all due respect to film schools, like I we I didn't learn how to do that. I did Through not learn school. how to like you know do all of the lawyering, all of the kind of contractual obligations. Like, all it's very new, and you have to have a really kind producer, which I did, yeah. Matthew Keen Smith, um, yeah. to help me along. But it it was hard. It was really hard, and you just it it's it's the interference of business with your with your artistic passion yeah, and it's, it's so clear that like no one wants to do it and if i was dating and that many people said no to me i would say what's wrong with me but right. you're supposed to keep going you know yeah. like and it's just like so many no's mm-hmm. you mm. just start to really question wow. yourself and be like take why am i doing this take a strong know? constitution to see it through yeah or insanity i really thought like this is what crazy people do <laughs> a crazy person would keep going yeah you know so. yeah, yeah yeah i it's get so, it so it's so hard. but it, it was to a beautiful end though this movie is is gorgeous thank it's you a wonderful so much movie. oh that's nice to hear yeah thank you um it Namor is uh it's a movie in some ways that is about a first generation kind of experience yeah. it's one specifically about being Egyptian in your background a little bit, but it's also a movie that's interestingly about being at a certain place in life, you know? So there are aspects of it that I feel like lots of 20-somethings yeah. might be able to connect with, even if they don't get some of the cultural stuff that's going on there. Um, just being in that space of like, what are you doing? And, oh, yeah. look, my sister's getting her PhD and I park <laughs> cars, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. those sorts of relationships. So I was wondering... When you were crafting this story, mm-hmm. um, was it? I, I guess I just want to know about that process and about combining what is a number of like sort of very salient themes into one narrative. You know? Yeah. Well, I I think I was thinking about the recession. I mean, that sort of sparked the idea for it. But I was also, to be perfectly honest, like had dated some people where I felt like stuff was happening with them. Um, And I think I was trying to understand what that mentality was, you know, or what was going on there and really be sympathetic. And, you know, that's, I feel like the job of the writer is to really kind of enter that mindset and see what's a part of that. And so um, I tried to kind of enter that mindset of a few of those, those gentlemen without trying to be, you know, too prying or in person, you know, or just, too direct but really tried to create from that standpoint of like what is it like um to be a man um and face the pressures that men feel at that age and um and to be bored with life how do we make boredom beautiful yeah those are kind of the challenges of of trying to kind of write those scenes and trying to make it compelling is how do we make feeling stuck a visual you know, I definitely think you exciting. nailed it. As a, as a first generation person, mm-hmm. my parents were from the Philippines, mm-hmm. right? I watched it, and I and I'm also from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and uh, I definitely knew a lot of people that were in that rut post college, like that weird first year when no one knew what was going on, and everyone felt like they had to have it figured out. So it definitely touched a nerve for me, and I was like, wow, I can relate to this. Well, just that's saying. really great to hear. Yeah, <laughs> I I think it was, it's just feeling stuck and feeling stifled and, and not quite sure like what is supposed to happen next. And it feels like everyone's moving on to that next chapter of their lives and you're not. Yeah. And that's frustrating. And I thought, whoa, it would be nice to really put that in 
the context of Los Angeles and the valet culture, which some people may not know about, but it's a huge part of Los Angeles. Sure, yeah. And parking cars is, is frankly, like I think the only time in Los Angeles where classes are really intersecting. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that would be a nice kind of visual way to describe like what LA can feel like mm. uh, and also contain, it can be like the physical container of his, like why is everyone moving up but me? All these fancy cars. Mm. I freaking hate driving all these fancy cars because I don't own one, you know? Right. So what was yeah. it, what was it like premiering in LA? You know, it was, it was big for me. I hadn't had a, a this was obviously my first feature and um, we had two screenings and um they sold out very quickly, and I, I didn't totally understand how, uh, but awesome. that was really nice. And it was my first kind of round of having a publicist and, and doing interviews. And you Did know, you guys it's do like terrifying. a tour? Did you do like a press tour? for? I just did. You know, we did interviews prior to the festival, mm. and, then, um, and then it got reviewed. And those were all of my like first, you know, I got reviewed in The Hollywood Reporter. That was a first wow. for me. And That's awesome. It's all nerve-wracking. It's all really scary and exciting, yeah. but it's just, it really is, everyone said it's like letting go of that child. And it really was like kind of cutting the umbilical cord, because now it's like mm. this thing that you've been looking at over and over again, mm. or are bored by and can't stand anymore and think is just... A yeah. piece of junk and you don't know what it is anymore like it's like it's not yours anymore let it go so <laughs> did it end up playing a number of festivals after that and and it at did. what point do you feel like it's played enough festivals like how do you make that's that a good call? question um so i think with festivals it's it's such a tricky thing um certain festivals want premiere only right and so when it's premiere only you're kind of limited and yeah. you and um los angeles was premiere only so you kind of have to decide with your producer, like, is this the one we want to do? Should we wait around? And and we felt like, you know, the film was made in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Film Festival is a great place for us to be. Let's do it. Um, but we'd applied to other film festivals. We didn't get in. And this was this was the right one for us. We did get into this one, and they wanted the film. So we were excited. And as to when to stop, I really felt like, I wanted, I, I love the festival experience because I think you learn a lot about like when people laugh and when they don't laugh or when they are laughing and they shouldn't be. <laughs> like you learn a lot. Uh, but I also wanted the film to get distributed. And so right. Array, um, our distributor came around, I forget when exactly, but it was maybe December, November, December. Okay. And I thought like once it goes to distribution, you know, that's the end. It usually. kind yeah, of is that's the like end. The, when it gets to Netflix and, and so, everything. Yeah. So yeah. we we sort of it was brief, but you know it it, it was good. I I learned a lot. I I always learn a lot. I think filmmakers should be sitting in the theater for that part of the yeah. process because it's I mean, probably the most terrifying part. I'd imagine it is. It's not easy. Yeah. At certain points, I'm like, oh, our editor and I didn't plan for everyone to laugh there, but it's kind of nice that they did, <laughs> and so it's nice. You know, it can surprise you. Hopefully, they. I don't understand when I've been at festivals and filmmakers like they don't want to watch the movie yeah. at all. Because mm. I'm like, yo, man, like, like you want to know how doing this the plays. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, how has it been? How has working with Array been? Like, what is that experience like? Because that's something that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because of uh, the Ava DuVernay connection, like there's a lot of kind of hype there and people know about it. So that must have been pretty great to all of a sudden be a part of that. It, it has been, you know, you lock, it's a grassroots distribution collective. And so they do um, a theater run, but it's not a traditional theater run. And I, to be honest, I don't even know what a traditional theater run is anymore because right. most films are 
frankly, just playing in New York and Los Angeles yeah. at this point, if yeah. if those cities at all now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I love the people she works with. She has two powerhouse women, Tulane and Mercedes, and they yeah. just sort of hold you in their hands and kind of guide you along the way. And we got great press and good interviews, and we sort of met a lot of people. And then we had a really great screening in Los Angeles again. And then on Netflix, I mean, frankly, one of the things that they have said that they're a little curious about, and I'm curious about too, is what the what are the statistics of how it does on Netflix? They, and they never tell you. And they're right. pretty locked down on that. And yeah. so um, everyone's wondering, I'm sure, you know, mm. how, who, what category is it in? Are people seeing it? Like how... No one knows those things. So that's a little bit of a, like, oh, I kind of well, wish I knew, but hope, I don't. Hopefully people f- discover it and there's, like, people writing. Ab- you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. there are people who are writing specifically about things on, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and if you're writing about film, you kind of have to. Yeah. Because there's so many new movies that are premiering. You know what I mean? Like, if you didn't write about uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Yeah. And mm. you're a genre website, then right. you fucking missed out. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and it's like a film like that, like that's it won Sundance and yeah. it went straight to Netflix and it's like it's not gonna get reviewed. Like that's yeah. like how's that po- like I don't know where it got reviewed. And so there's some lag time with I think how the films are being reviewed and what gets to be reviewed and you know, it it's I, I think changing. it's actually harder for a movie like you so I would actually argue that Namor has Tinges of genre to it, especially in the sense oh. of like uh, our our man has like a taxi driver feel. You know what I mean? Like, yes. and so I think fil- like there's film- also a prevalent sense of tension. That yeah, I would yeah, yeah, one hundred percent to, to I, genre film. All that yeah. to say, so I think a movie like that though, it's not like the thing about I don't belong in this world anymore. It's making Blair. Yes. Mm-hmm. Word up to the other Blair brothers who live in Philadelphia. Very talented <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's making Blair. There's already that connection. Like you just say making Blair and, and a certain people are section of, of at least film Twitter is gonna be like, oh fuck. You know, like yeah. they're about that. Totally. I think for a movie like yours, it's harder in that way because Agreed. it's like who's gonna think like, oh, what is this? And in a way, I, I kinda wanted to ask you about that. Like you're telling a story that is um, not clearly drama. It might be a little mm-hmm. dark for someone who's like, I'm going to put on an emotional drama. Yes. It's not usually a story about immigrants or, and especially even, you're in a lot of in the middle places. You're describing the Egyptian experience. Mm-hmm. Well, is the Egyptian experience the Arabic or the black experience? And then your character has a lot of, you know, angst and ennui and you know what I mean Mm -hmm. which in film we associate with sad white boys and so now (laughs) we're telling an American immigrant POC story from the more brown side which Mm -hmm. is already I mean I've seen a couple of movies lately that are telling this sort of like Asian experience especially like recently there was that one about the Asian actor and you know everyone wants him to play this like stereotype and anyways, but it's that same mm-hmm. sort of like, where am I finding myself in the world sort mm-hmm. of story. I haven't seen something about this. How, I mean, even telling, even ignoring to some extent, the idea of, you know, a story about people who come from Africa, mm-hmm. telling a middle Eastern story that at no point is like, by the way, guys, <laughs> you yeah. know, it doesn't yeah. lead the, the phobia. And don't worry, yeah. you, there's undercurrents of politics. 
in the film. Yes. But that's not what the movie's about this guy. So of course it's the politics are there, but it's only because it's about his experience and who he is. So I guess I'm this question is going way too long because there's so many things in my brain. But what I wanted to sort of get at is how do you sort of navigate that, not just in telling that story, but then in figuring out who's the goddamn audience for that complicated story? Yeah. No, that's a very big question. Um, I think for just navigating it, I I wrote what felt honest to me. Right. Um, and so I didn't think about... Um, you know, I, I did think about like how our culture, the Arab American culture tends or and Arab culture tends to kind of be reduced to and this happens in a lot of cultures. It's like their food and, you know, um, the grandma and, you know, it just has these kind of very and those are good movies. I've enjoyed yeah. those movies oh, and they're sweet. But I thought well, this guy can have some edge and and it doesn't have to be about those kinds of cultural points that always seemed to get plugged in. Yeah, that seemed to be well-tread. Yeah, and I just yeah. thought, let me... Because Taxi Driver was such a big film for me. It was kind of the sure. first film I was serious about when I started to think about film analysis. And I watched it like 15 times at like the underground library or like the library at UC San Diego where I went to school. So I was thinking about that film and I thought like that film had such... He's such a strange person. And I thought like I... I get this. Like, I do get this. Obviously, my film's not Taxi Driver, but I thought giving it that character, why can't he have that edge? I know people who have that edge. Um, and, right. And why can't he be Arab American? Why? It's perfectly possible that that could be the case and not be a terrorist and, you know, a super Muslim person or, do you know what I mean? Like, or, right. or radical or whatever. You know, I just, I, I thought, like, let me think outside of, let me just be guided by the character and who I think he is. As far as finding an audience, I am still figuring that out. Right. I, I feel like that's been very difficult for me. Um, I mean, it's an, a necessary it's consideration for every artist, right? To Unfortunately. Who you're going to be speaking yeah. to. Yeah, and I feel but, like genre, I mean, I'm, I'm realizing this is like maybe the weakness in my work is that like it, it helps the work if it can be packaged. Mm-hmm. It, it's not reducing the work if it can be packaged. It helps quite a bit. And so, um, well, I think it's also I'm how learning. it plays, right? Like I, my feeling after watching the more was that if that was a white guy who listened to metal, mm-hmm. it would already be a genre hit period. Yeah. That's because it is about a dark character who doesn't quite fit into a context. Now yeah. it's complicated because of his identity in ways that makes it more interesting to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. but I'm like, eh, it's still, I mean, that's the basic thing. It's just instead of him being frustrated with his out-of-work white parents who also hate their parents, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's a guy who's like, he's not quite alienated from his family, but he is a little bit. Yeah, and because... it partly is this thing that we don't talk about, like, to have an immigrant family that's going through divorce or mm-hmm. separation or whatever. Yeah. That's also something we don't see very often. Like, we're always focusing on the failures of the white family, which is fine because I love shit talking white people but <laughs> but it's not like 
all mm. of us on the brown side are like, like we got to figure it out. Everything's perfect, good on this side. We have perfect families where everybody <laughs> works six jobs and it's fine and it doesn't tear us apart yeah. at all. It's like, no, it actually does <laughs> no. a lot of times. I think, but I think what you're bringing up is so interesting because it's also a question of who gets to be depicted as middle class. Right, yeah. exactly. And, and that is rarely done, you know, with people of color. If if it is a, an immigrant story, it tends to be a lot about a struggle or they're, but they're not middle class. Right. Mm. And I think that's also why I felt the film was interesting to me too was that it's about um i think you know on other levels you know this they're losing the house they have to lose the house and it's Mm -hmm. subliminally i think about this middle class that's losing its footing in this country um and so yeah i mean that's even represented in the children right like how many Mm -hmm. people do we know where like one kid has this bright future supposedly mm-hmm. and the other one's like well i'm still waiting tables or yeah. I'm a barista mm-hmm. or i i mean i feel like for philly barista is like the philly version of <laughs> of valet culture yes yeah. I, I totally agree yeah and so it's like <laughs> it's yeah same it's not a yeah. bad job no, but i don't know what's all. after this yeah, per yeah, se yeah, yeah, yeah. um exactly. oh man i feel like we could talk about this forever but yeah. we do have to get going and yes, yes. i want to say you not only did you come here and talk to us about your awesome movie but you suggested we talk about someone that we have not covered yet right Fellini Federico Fellini Fellini <laughs> now Josh Fellini is not your favorite Italian filmmaker no he is not who's your favorite Italian yeah. filmmaker Giuseppe Ternatore oh he is my yes. hero like he's awesome. him Jodorowsky like those are like my favorite 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 directors sure that's not like you know John Carpenter and mm-hmm. you know but I definitely watching these Fellini movies, you could see the cues in Italian cinema sure. that were taken for, you know, that Ternatore used. So, but before we get to that, oh man, we totally glossed over the thing that Heidi was totally prepared for. Well, no, we didn't gloss over because that's the next thing. <laughs> oh, I right. brought up the Italian filmmakers, Still nervous. and then you killed my joke, which is I was going to say that my favorite Italian ma- filmmaker was Joe D'Amato, which is not true, <laughs> but it's funny. But you just killed my goddamn joke. Oh man, so I'm this whole so thing lame. was just a complicated setup for me to bring up Joe D'Amato. <laughs> and I was running oh, through. I was man. literally. I only settled on Joe D'Amato after running through every Italian horror filmmaker. <laughs> my, I was like, okay, Fulci? No, Fulci really could be my favorite. Uh, Argento? No, that's too obvious. Uh, uh, oh, Maurizio? No. Uh, you Umberto know. Lenzi? Oh, no. no. What if I said Bava? Uh, but then I said, oh, wait, no, not Mario. <laughs> Lamberto Bava. Wait, you mean just demons and demons too? Yeah, just those two. Those are great movies. No, he did. He did Fantastic movies. movies. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So you killed my Joe D'Amato joke. But sorry. before we get into talking about Fellini, we have our patented, copyrighted segment, award-winning segment across Taught the world. Taught in foreign school systems. That part's actually true, though. I made up those other things. Yeah, I know. It's cool. But we are actually used in a program in Hong Kong to teach English. <laughs> and that would be the section we call Whack It On Track. Oh, man. You know, it's never going to get it's old It's so me. corny. It's <laughs> never, ever going to get dumb. It's never going to get know smarter or cooler. as dumb as that. Yeah, but you know, it remains one of my favorite things of, of like my week so, so as lame. our guest Heidi you get to choose whether you want to go first or last or as Josh is suddenly introduced as an option in the, the middle, middle. <laughs> totally your call um, I'm going to go last because I want to hear what you guys have I to think say last is usually the better position yeah. okay yo Josh yeah what did you do that was whack and or on track on track I saw a screening of 
Dunkirk, the new Christopher Nolan movie. Was it in? Wow. Was it, it was it, not was it in seventy. It was it not was, in seventy. But was it in so cool. Max? It was not in Max either. It was at the Prince Theater. I saw it last night. It was shot in seventy and in IMAX. And uh, man, let me tell you something. That was a tense movie experience. It was. Do you, you want to go see it in? in oh, 70, I have. 70 70 it warrants a second scene. I mean, oh, okay. First of all, not much of a war film, dude. Most of the war movies that I enjoy are like The Great Escape. You know, these thin, older thin red line, uh, thin red line. <laughs> you know these movies. Yeah. Um, but this movie is gripping from beginning to end, from the first shot to the final resolution. It's magnificent. Wow. It's it's Great. so it's like so. I want to say the word sumptuous, but I don't want to sound like a dork that would use the word sumptuous to describe yeah, a, a movie. Thing I say. know, I know. But it's it's a gorgeous movie. It sure. is so beautiful. Just every detail from the light glinting off of the water as the planes are flying around to the explosions and the way the beach is shot and everything is so wonderful. It's um now are you a Christopher Nolan stan or is this like a new thing for you? Yeah. Oh no, I'm I'm down with Christopher Nolan. I mean like I'm not like a fanatic. I don't have a Christopher Nolan tattoo yet. Unfortunately. But um, you know, I, I'm down with it. I I think that guy's a good filmmaker. He managed to take this movie that like it's weird because it's told on three fronts. So it's it's kind of like the Star Wars trope of like, you know, this is happening here and then the simultaneously all going on. Um, my man Tom Hardy's in it. I like Flying him. a plane. Fucking love him. Let me tell you something. He's got a mask on most of the movie. And I thought to myself, well, it's a good thing he got all that Bane work in because he's really good at eye acting. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thought. Also, is he in a plane the whole time? Because that, oh, that yeah. makes me think of that other car. Remember the movie he did? Oh, yeah, Drive. Also, Oh, no, it wasn't Drive. It was, uh, what oh, was that movie? That was, I know what you're talking Something with an L? Yeah. Wasn't it? Logan? Lock no. something. Lock. 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 Yeah, that movie was great, too. But, um, yeah, he's just in the car. He never yeah. gets out of the car. No, he's Amazing talking on movie. Bluetooth the entire time. Yeah, Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not like the central character. Like th- there is no central part of the movie other than the war and the location. And it's just so beautifully shot and well thought out that like you realize like how masterful Christopher Nolan is with this movie. Sure. And um yeah, it's, you know, it's a war movie. Um Kenneth Branagh is in it. Didn't see that coming. I like him. Didn't know he was in it. So British. I literally don't know anyone who's in it. Yeah. I haven't even watched a trailer. Dude. But just knowing it was shot on 70 makes me like. And oh. it's his shortest movie. It's like only an hour and 45 minutes oh, long. Lovely. Something like that. So you, oh, like, you know, cool. you hear a Christopher Nolan movie. You're like, all right, I'm bringing a Gatorade and maybe a pee <laughs> bottle. Like something to. <laughs> definitely like, a pee bottle. Yeah, definitely a granola bar. Something like this. But this one, hour and 45. And I was like, oh, man, we have time to do other things now after seeing this movie. So. That's yeah, nice. that was totally on track. I would suggest seeing it if you have a chance to see it on seventy. I'm because uh, I'm going to see it again. I have to. It warrants a second. Should screen. we go to New York? It's planned. I am going Lincoln anywhere, Center. dude. All about that. Okay, that is such a great plan. Yeah, you're more than welcome to join oh, us as yeah, well. No, I like Lincoln Center and I like seventy millimeters. So yeah, man, awesome. dude, so good. I saw that little infographic and it was like, well, you only see the whole thing if you see it in seventy millimeters. Like there was like, here's dude. the frame in each format, and I'm like. Well, okay, so this is the full format. So why do I want to see it in these not other, you know these other formats? <laughs> Another thing is Killian Murphy's in it. Did you know that? Oh, I did not. And know he that. plays against character, and it's a pretty interesting turn. Yeah. And uh, man, it's also an interesting movie in that it's the first war movie that I've seen that didn't involve American soldiers in any way, because it's the French and oh, the British I've, soldiers. Mm. You never saw? I thought you were a fan of a uh, Ki. No. Oh, did dude. not see it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Korean film, probably my favorite war movie. Really? Second favorite war movie. Wow. What's number one? 
uh, where Eagles there. <laughs> not really. I just wanted to make a Misfits reference. That's uh, good. That's good. Probably actually Thin Red Line, even though it's not really a war movie in, yeah, in a yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. It is, as someone who has mixed feelings about violence, mm-hmm. I'd rather see martial arts because right. it's like stylized to the point of ridiculousness. Right. Or it's so... I even like martial arts that are so brutal that it like hurts. Yeah. War movies, it's harder for me. My my version of, of pacifism is more skeptical <laughs> of mass murder mm-hmm. than individual violence. Right. Which is probably not what people are... It's usually like, I won't get in a fight. And I'm like, I probably won't get in a fight, but I certainly won't fight in this man's right. army. You know, you, know I mean? you know, actually, my favorite war movie is Dogfight. Have you ever seen Dogfight? It's pretty good. I like that. That's my favorite war movie. I've Have you seen, seen this I've not seen movie? that, no. It's uh, River Phoenix's last role, and it's him and Lily Tomlin. Yeah. And um, it's right before they ship off to Vietnam. It's their last night in San Francisco. And... Um, it's just a, it's a it's a pretty weird and tragic movie, but it's also like really wonderful in its stance on war and like you know on a pacifist perspective. But yeah, that's that probably my great. favorite. I, that's my favorite one. Yeah, I let's see keep that. going. What else right. is on track? Uh, nothing else on track. Whack, however, is the passing of. I thought what, you saw the big sick. Didn't we talk about that in the last one? I don't think so. No, I saw the big sick. What'd you think? I enjoyed it immensely. Great. Uh, not exactly the greatest movie, not a perfect film. Me and Heidi were actually in the crowd together watching we it. Were. Yeah. I mean, I love Kumail, though. Like, I find Yeah, that's like, the thing. So like, so I kind sweet. of feel like, the, like um, people who dislike the movie dislike his style of comedy, which to me, I think is unrealistic because I, I love his comedy. I he's like so it. funny. Yeah. He's, he's like the funniest. So he's the funniest funny. thing about Silicon Valley. He's, dude, he's, he's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So, and like all of his stories, like his stand up stories are, are brilliant. Like, so if you are a fan of him and you see this movie, I can see why you would love it. But if you don't like sure. that, I can see why you wouldn't. So They're let's c- go to Whack. Whack, the passing of George A. Romero this past yeah. Sunday. Yeah. My dog is named George A. Romero. Hmm. Yeah. That's how much we love this man. It is. I mean, so there's a cynical part of us to be like, yo, my man is older. Yeah. He died at home in hospice. You know what I mean? So like I want to treat him like it's sad, but it's not a tragedy. But here's the reality of our recent what feels like utterly crazy amounts of people we care about passing away. And that's right. just because it's our generation. And yeah, and people, this is just other the people time died when we things happen. We, we weren't as connected to them. Um, the point is, other than Prince, who mm. really was a tragedy because my man should still be alive writing music right, right now, right. this is the next thing that affected me. I mean, David Bowie, whatever, like everyone else, it's like I appreciate it intellectually. But like when I heard about George Romero, I'm like, oh, that's sad. But at least he died at home. It's sad. I was fine. Right. Then the more I thought about him, yeah. I thought about, A, how many fucking fucked up zombie jokes did you see about my man? So many. Oh, he's about to come so back. So many he's that to... are not even a little funny. A, they're not funny. And B, his legacy is now reduced to this thing, which I don't want to downplay that thing. He invented, people keep saying this, but I don't think we really understand it. The zombie, as we picture it on all these things, he created that. Right. Zombies are just supposed to be people in a trance in Haiti. That's it. Right. That's the right. whole right. thing. Right. This whole undead flesh eater John, that's all him. But mm. then, I don't even want to just say that because that's what I see a lot of is he created the zombie, he created the zombie. He also created, uh, maybe not solely created, but was a huge creator of the socially conscious horror film. Right. Horror film Which is insane. Which is this conflation an, of like ideal and art. Like that yeah. is, to me, a gorgeous and, and masterful. Then put that aside, his battles over rights and yeah. 
ownership and all that, that's huge for independent filmmakers everywhere. I mean, yeah. he did more for independent film probably than most directors that he have ever lived. He also did a lot for marginalized actors. Yeah. Dude, casting Dwayne Jones yeah. in The First Night of the Living Dead and at a time when having a black protagonist is not the thing that everybody was doing. And then finally, like, I'm just tired of everyone reducing him to those dead films, even though by the end of his career, that's what he was doing because yeah. he felt like he needed to go back. Well, there. he also had the, the passion for that. Sure, right? sure, sure. That was his story that he wanted to tell. But his other movies never got the respect right. that they deserve. Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines is great. Martin is not only to my favorite Romero it's movie. It's terrifying. It is the best vampire film I've ever seen in my yeah. life. It is unbelievably wow. Best good. in your life. Wow. Yeah. Mar- I think Martin is the most underrated film of the 70s. Wow. Period. No And way. it is fucking begging for a Blu-ray release that right. I probably will never get. Right. And it's impossible to get. Like, even if you want to get rights to screen it on DCP, mm-hmm. the, the, the cost is through the roof. Like, yeah. it's like you can't even get a copy of it. So I just think that... Um, and 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 I you know I also like maybe I don't love but I like the crazies right I think um, like you said monkey shines his Two involvement his involvement creep on show. creep show yeah 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 so like uh, Night Riders isn't that great but <laughs> it's fun the point is is he did other movies some of which I haven't even seen he's at least three movies I've never seen because I can't find copies or I haven't been able to find yeah, copies yeah, so yeah. I just think like uh, you know yes are there. I, I, Sometimes we don't take him seriously because within a certain subset of the horror community, horror lives and dies with George Romero. And so, right. like, we look at those folks and maybe we might be like, yo, yo, like, you guys are nerds. Out. Yeah, way to be You're nerds. Over the top. Nerds. There's other movies than Dawn of the Dead. Like, let's move on with our lives. Right. But that's actually not fair to him and his legacy, which is right. actually really big. And for me personally, and broad, huge, huge, yeah. and broad. That, that he made a number of movies that impacted me. And then even those ones that I'm like, everyone focuses on too much. Mm-hmm. Let's back that train up. If it wasn't for <laughs> Night of the Living Dead, there'd be none of it. Yeah, yeah, I fucking love that movie, and it really scared the shit out of me as a child. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's like the a third horror movie I ever that movie. saw. Yeah, 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 yeah. I watched it meticulously for years. It's yeah. one of those movies I've seen a thousand times. And, so. it, and to me, it is, as we've said on this show, the what makes horror great is that often the genius is unselfconscious. It's right. circumstances that should tell you to just give up. Somehow you get through it and you make something that's actually really good and you don't even know how good it is till people see it. Mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead is a perfect example of that. Yeah. My man was like, look, I just like this actor. Yes, he's a black man, but uh, he's just good. So we're just going to cast him. Right. And you know what? This is what I can afford to do. This is what we can do in this movie. And it's not, I mean, again, no disrespect to the master who we're talking about tonight, Fellini. Right. But Fellini's making films where he's like, he's I, am, by, I am great. Yeah, like, he's I am making a great Dino film De Laurentiis, as you a know great I mean? artist. Yeah. But yeah, with fucking Dino De Laurentiis behind as your me. producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. it's huge. It's something different with a lot of horror films where it's like, it's good in spite of every circumstance. It's right. good in spite of even the people who made it. Right. Some of them, I mean, I think George Romero was a passionate artist, but there were plenty of directors who didn't even fucking care and they just happened to make something amazing. Right. That Night of the Living Dead is a movie that everything on paper said, this should be another movie we make fun of now and yeah. change the and world. And it so. is not. It should be another Plan 9 from Outer Space, whatever. But it isn't. <laughs> I kind of like Ed Wood too, but for different reasons. <laughs> Okay, let's so that's keep, my let's keep going. That was, go ahead. This is okay, I'll just go really quick. I don't have any wax other than just life. Um, <laughs> other than life being grim. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, on track, I went to the 3D Dementia uh, Yay, event for Exhumed. Exhumed. Um, and I didn't get to stay for the whole thing, but what I did see was a lot of fun. And uh, um, 
you know, I've actually always been someone who I wouldn't say I hate, but I, I don't have a lot of respect for the later Friday the 13th movies. Right. Um, watching part three in 3D was actually fun. Yeah. Which that's is the one need. where Jason I mean, gets the all mask, those movies right? are All those movies are dumb. Yeah. So I don't need it to be more than fun. Right. So it was fun. And then in 3D, it's like even more fun. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another movie we watched was a movie called Rottweiler, which is like... <laughs> What's it about? <laughs> <laughs> and uh the, the what was funny about that is that was not a great movie but seeing it in 3d was a lot of fun so right. it was like again that that's sort of the event mm. unfortunately i didn't get to see the highlight for me would have been they showed uh revenge of the shogun women yeah that's the one and that i, I was like real bummed I about not stay. seeing it's a, from the same director as dynasty dynasty which is another, 1977 yeah kung fu 3d Shot movie it's a lot of fun yeah and this is again a kung fu movie and i couldn't i just couldn't i had to get home so yeah that, I guess that, if there's anything whack thing-wise, I couldn't stay for the whole thing. But I did get my Hearthon tickets, which is cool. Yay! Um, and I, they're going to do more of these 3D shows, and I think the next one they're doing is... Uh, I think they're going to do another one soon, and from what I hear, it's going to be a little more obvious movies. Like These are pretty obscure films, except yeah. for Friday the 13th. And these are going to be more known 3D movies, which I'm like stoked Jaws? on. Except for Jaws 3D, which is one of the worst things I've ever watched. Yeah, in my life. but we watched it in, in Harry's garage. It was amazing. It was so fun. Yeah, but part of me is kind of like, am I going to sit through that movie again, or is that going to be what I leave for and come back? If there's multiple movies, I'm not watching right. Jaws again. Not like trying to see it again, even no. in 3D. It's so bad. It is, but it was cool though. <laughs> did you know uh, before we get to Heidi? Did you know that that was the first Jaws movie my wife ever watched? <laughs> Really? So then when we watched Jaws recently, she couldn't believe how good it was. <laughs> she just knew Jaws 3D. And I was like, oh, that baby, is amazing. You have no idea. That's you really have no cool. idea. It's a good way in. Yeah, know? right? So it's all, it's all uphill. Yeah. Even, the, even the last one is more fun than Jaws 3D. Although, the, although it's so ridiculous at the end of the, the Jaws, I think that's one's called Jaws the Revenge or whatever. <laughs> and Mario Van Peebles just shows up at the end. You're like, Bro, we watched you get eaten. Like, there's no way you're like he so clearly was called in like, yo, we changed our mind. We're not gonna kill your character off. And he's just like, hey, <laughs> what up, mom? I'm still alive. You're like, how? You are literally dead. Eaten. Uh, Done. So good. Okay, so good. Sorry. Go ahead, Heidi. Whack it on track. Whack it on track. Um I'll start with whack. Um so I've been kind of reducing internet time because i feel like um just cutting the leash well i just feel like i'm not on it a lot but i I specifically social media i think i'm i think some of that is i want it to get back on track but lately it does feel real whack whack. yeah 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 it doesn't feel like healthy for conversations i feel i feel that way i also feel that way a little bit like performatively like like there are good conversations happening on twitter Mm -hmm. and i can comment sometimes on someone else's thing but then when I'm like going to post something, I'm like feel anxiety. Like I have to perform. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, I didn't get on this thing to be a fucking exactly. performer. I think like if that's, that's what this is for, I, I can't do that. If anything, it makes yeah. me feel more detached. The social yeah. media yes. It makes me yeah. feel a lot more lonely. That's why I've reduced my, I've reduced my interface to just promoting Cinepunks and bands. I th- and that's it. Well, but I, I also get about that too, is just that if it's not going to be positive, then why, yeah. why be a, I don't know. I feel like the, just the negativity can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes. So, yeah, I think that's where I've, I've been like, okay, guys, this is like not good for human conversation. Like conversations shouldn't go like this. Um, what's on track is um, for the first time last week, I saw the movie They Live. 
You just saw that? I, oh, you went to the screening at... I, I did. I yo, Josh was supposed house. to go, but we were recording, go, but we messed up, and yeah. it went late. You had never seen it. I had never seen it. You it on 35. Was like you have, it was on 35, yeah. which was great, too, because so awesome. I, I don't get to see films on 35 that often. And Is that a thing that matters to you? Do you care about watching I stuff do, on film? I do. I do care to see that, because I think mm. um, it reminds me that it's... I don't know. It's finicky. It feels there's something real, finicky, right? and there's something like it's not... I have more patience with it because mm. it's not like a file. Right. I don't right, know. Right. There's yeah. something kind of interesting about it. And I, I like seeing the little cigarette burn. And yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice experience oh, for me. And for it, sure. And it takes we me back. love that shit. I'm yeah. definitely a we film. We love seeing stuff on film. I'm definitely a film fetishist to some, <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> I get it. Though I do think digital works for certain things. But it's, right. it, it does. It, it, it also it depends on how you're willing to push it. So like not everyone is doing like... Um, What's the Michael Mann Tom Cruise movie? Oh, um, good movie. Collateral. Collateral. Good movie. Collateral. Good LA movie. Collateral uses digital in a way that's like, if he had tried to make that movie with film, it wouldn't fucking work. Exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. but that's unique. Like, I exactly. think that a lot of movies are shot on digital because that's what's available in film is just dead in yeah. a lot of exactly. ways. Yeah. So that's why you're shooting on digital. It's not like I've made a decision that digital works yeah. because of this reason. Though those do exist, they're yeah. less yeah. common. But in the same way, I get the feeling that, like, I get it. Film is even more expensive now than it was. Yeah. It isn't, it isn't. I mean, some of the things when people are, like, shooting in 4K. Like, shooting yeah. in 4K is quite costly because you have to have drives to hold all that. And all that's that. not yeah. cheap. We talked about that on and episode six of Cinecons. With Jay Shevchuk of Kid Dynamite. Yeah, we it's were a, like, oh, it's cheaper now. And he's it's like, real. no, it's not. It's not. It's yeah. not. And I, you know, when I was at LA Film Festival with Namor, um, one of the, I think their big sponsor was Kodak. And we, this, I think he was the president, was like, we, like, there's a reason to, to do this again. And yeah. um, I have shot on film, so I, I do love it. And I love the experience of it. I've never delivered on film. Like, I've never exhibited on film. Mm. But, um but there's something to it. There's really yeah. something to exhibiting on film. It's it's. I mean, I also feel like the idea that, well, because there's all these limitations to film that people bring up, and my feeling is, it's not clear to me that the solution to all those limitations is digital. Is digital per se, or at least not yet. Yeah. It's kind of like with we had the same thing with music, right? Like, the MP3 comes out, and everyone's like, oh. <laughs> well, physical media is now dead because right. we just put everything on MP3. Only the MP3 is a small fraction of information compared to what we can still get on, on a fucking vinyl. Yeah. Like the oldest technology Liam's we still use. Liam's also a vinyl enthusiast if you haven't Well, guessed. again, it's <laughs> not <laughs> just because of the yeah. fetish. Like, don't get me wrong. No. I really fucking fetishize vinyl. Like, I want the physical, <laughs> like all that's there, the tactileness of it. Yes, 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 yes. But I, you get the big inserts. I own it. And you but then it's also a the fucking, cover. but it's also a fucking fact that there's more literal information on that piece of vinyl than there is in the digital unless you're doing flack and even flack is not quite as much and a lot of things won't fucking play it so right. like i don't understand what i'm trading in in the same way with film there's all these pluses with digital but the idea that like well we're done with physical as an option it's like well if, it, if there was still money in it then you would still be investing in new technologies yeah. that were physical technologies mm -hmm. that might solve some of these problems that you're bringing up that might make it maybe there is a way to do film where it's more compact or where uh, you can store it and it's safer or where it doesn't degrade as quickly or right. like all the things that people bring up, there might be solutions, but no one cares. We came up with one solution, digital, digital. and we all fucking jumped to it, which is like, 
it is what it is. Like I, I don't want to be too uh, nostalgic because mm-hmm. I think nostalgia can be a problem. But I'm not convinced that what we traded it for was better. Especially hearing from you and other directors who are like, "Well, 4K it's takes away the expensive." The whole argument for digital was that it was democratic. Yeah, was that not. like now everyone can do it? Well, no, no. you can't. So no then, what's the fucking point? It. Yeah, I'd so rather wait, do well, the film. What was it like seeing They Live for the first time in 2017? Well, that's so fascinating I, to me. Joel, my husband, was like, "This is a special movie for me." Yeah, and so I was like, "Okay, let's do this." And I really enjoyed it. I have not laughed that hard in a while. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. as someone who like I, I feel myself wanting to do a little bit more comedy. There's like some silent comedy stuff in more, but I feel like I'm I'm trying to kind of reach in the dark for that mm. that like that level that note. Of, um, I just really enjoyed it. I think it's a film that, like, it just you can feel the heart pulsating through the whole thing. And it, yeah, there are mistakes, and it's like, but it just it doesn't matter. And the performances are awkward at times, but it just works. What did you think of the street fight? I could not stop laughing because <laughs> it goes on so long, yeah. and I just love like the sound effects of like, <laughs> like it's just so drawn out and lovely like yeah. and the lines just i was not familiar with the lines i missed really? a lot of even the bubblegum no i i was not i you know sometimes immigrant family kid we missed out on a lot of big things and so it was nice to like watch it and just enjoy it as yeah. a new person to the film it was so funny did they do anything like give you gum and sunglasses at all or anything? they did not that that's what they did fun. liam told me liam was like they gave me gum and sunglasses when i saw it on 35 and i was like what i have that's to go to this so movie cute. and then we totally it's didn't so, i've seen it now in theater like five times yeah and three of those were 35 millimeter and the one at the colonial in phoenixville right just with a ticket, you got sunglasses and a piece of That's gum. Great. And I was That's like, so magnificent. So sweet. Yeah. So cool. It's so awesome. So, it's yeah, really I mean, good. it's it's one of my favorite films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's a good print, it's amazing it's right. just like great tool. i mean i've seen it on digital too and that's fine you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. when roddy uh, when uh rowdy roddy piper was still alive they did an anniversary screening on dcp at, oh uh at, at um, bam no at the fucking trocadero Whoa. oh wow and he talked about the movie he did wow. like he did like half an hour 45 minutes after no way oh. it was great i got him for free because josh goldblum's a god among men <laughs> and uh <laughs> and he was like hilarious and one of the one of the longest myths i had heard about that fight scene was like it was only one take and they just got mad and they kept fighting and they kept filming <laughs> and i was always like that can't be true because there's so many cuts yeah. you'd have to do it yeah. and he was like someone asked him and he's like no 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 oh someone just asked him about the scene and he goes yeah. let me tell you and he immediately brought up that myth and he's like we shot that for two weeks <laughs> and he talked about he's like i go back i'd go back to my trailer i put my face in a bowl of ice <laughs> I'd have a little bit of ice, if you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and then I'd curl up with whatever lady was in the trailer oh, with me that night. And I was like, "Man, Roddy, Roddy Piper is the fucking best." <laughs> but he would say like he would just lay in a bed of ice, or he'd put his face in it. like he was just sore. He's like, Jeez. the part that's real is that it hurt. He was like, oh. it was like they played it like you know in wrestling. There's this thing of like playing it tight. Yeah, you know sometimes you're loose and sometimes you're tight. Right, and tight means this is going to fucking hurt. Yeah, you're I'm not going to actually pretend. punched. Yeah, he said they played it. That's what it was like. Is they Oof. played it mostly tight and it was really sore. He's like, if it had been one shot, it would that they would be great because yeah. he would yeah. not have like you know had to <laughs> suffer for two weeks, but it was like a long shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. So also, he talked about all the cocaine he did while he was on the. Oh wow, oh, yeah. dude. 
you know. At least he's open about it, you I know. Guess. Appreciate the R.I.P. honesty. Anyways, that's a great <laughs> on track. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I felt like it was like, you know, you have that one movie where you're like, yeah, it's summer. Like that was the yeah. one movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. God damn it. I need to see a summer. I haven't yeah. done a summer movie yet. Yeah. It had that you vibe. did VHS Fest, didn't you? Yeah, no, no, no. But I mean, like, like a summertime, like something, like I, I keep, like I haven't seen War, yeah. We didn't. Oh, about right. This, but okay, all the big sort of newer summer things. I, I saw Wonder I Woman. Seen I haven't seen Wonder Woman. That was a, that Wonder wasn't Woman summer yet. yet. <sighs> and I, yeah, man, I liked yay. it. It was fine. Yeah. Just okay. You weren't a big fan. No, I haven't seen it. Oh yeah, I, I haven't seen it. it either, so. I just yeah. thought I liked it, but it wasn't like mind bending as everyone. I feel like War is going to be that for me. War, War for the Planet. Well, that's because you're a huge Planet of the Apes fan. I'm a fucking huge. You are. Yeah. Someone just the other day was trying to say like all the old Planet of the Apes movies are bad and only the new ones are good, and I literally just like my head exploded. Yeah. Did you try and fight them? It was over the internet. So oh, you know. okay. Let it right. go. Yeah. yeah, you just kind of let it go. No let negativity. Go. Internet no negativity. is not let there. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Heidi, anything whack that you've done? Oh, no, she did. Oh, she did wag. She started with wag. Any other on track? I'm sorry. Yeah. Any other on track? No, no problem. Um, you know, summertime also for me, I don't know why I make this association, but I want to watch noir films. Yeah. And so for the first time I watched Gilda. And oh, I really wow. Loved, I really loved it. Yeah. And then last night we watched To Have and To Hold, Howard Hawks. Oh, wow. And um, I don't know. There's something about summer and noir, black like B movies. Like I don't know. Just about they just go together, right. huh? Something about it. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Like I have an itching. I have a a pile of movies at my house that I'm are sent to me to review that never get reviewed, <laughs> and uh, and then movies I've purchased that I swear I'm going to watch and they don't get watched and they're just in this pile. Yeah. And I at this time of year I'm always like oh, I should go. Ooh, I, yeah. got that, I got that Nighthawks Blu-ray. I should watch that shit. Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. this? Is this Streets of Fire? I need to watch Streets of Fire. Streets again. of Fire is great. You know, like I kind of get lost in that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. I just, you know, what's what just came out recently? Uh, to Live and Die in L.A. Oh. That's a summer movie. Wow, I need yeah. to watch that. You know, that's like a good one. Yeah. Stuff like that. I yeah. get really stoked on in the summer. Whereas in the winter. It's exorcism movies, and it's you know, <laughs> it's like a bunch of like <laughs> Halloweens, and no, 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 that's, that's winter time, or that's like fall. Winter's Bone, like these kinds of like desolate it's movies, depressing movies yeah. in the winter, yes. yeah, 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 and comedies. I don't know why yes. I like comedies. Yeah, comedies, comedies in are the winter. Good. Yeah, there's always a stupid Christmas comedy that I'll watch. Yeah, not new, but when it comes onto the streaming services, I'll be like, like Office Christmas Party when that yeah. showed up on the streaming, I was like, yeah, let's put that shit on, and I was like, man, that was really <laughs> bad. Terrible, yeah, it was really bad, but I watch it like. You know, like, yeah, winter, <laughs> stupid copy. Okay, we should stop. Oh, wait, take I got break. one more thing. Can okay, I, go ahead. I say you, one more on track? You have thing. never. One more on you track. You have never. Thing. Had, I got one more thing. You and it's always, pertinent to the conversation today. You always have it's an totally extra pertinent. on track. You always do. <laughs> the, one of the best things that's happened to me in the past couple of weeks <laughs> is that your husband paid me a very nice compliment after seeing our band play. Aww. Aww. What did he say? He was like, he was like, hey, man, just, uh, he was like, you're already, I, I, I have to paraphrase it because I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was like, you're doing a very good thing and you just got to believe in yourself a little bit more and you're going to, you're already there. He's great. And that blew Wait, my, this was about cross keys. Yeah. Cross keys. Uh, we got to take a break then because I don't support that. Band. Right. I know. We're not that good. But um, <laughs> no, and that was his joke. That was what he's saying. He's like, yeah, just, you know, just take it easy on making fun of yourself and just be the person that you are. And he's like, that's what I want more of. And I was like. Don't make me cry now. I'm already sweating. See, I love yeah. that. I do actually Dude, really love it. It was brutal, but it was like the nicest thing that anyone has ever said Aww. to me about any of my musical endeavors Aww. ever. <laughs> so, you Gosh, know, especially really ones sweet. where I'm the singer. 
You know, Josh, I just want you to know that I really believe in um, Solarize. Yeah, and most I, people I think do. They're really great. <laughs> and, uh, if you could just continue to do whatever it is you're doing in that band, you mean learning the songs? Yeah, <laughs> got it. <laughs> On it, man. On it. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna take a break, and yep. we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about La Strada. Uh, Knights of Cabria, Cabiria, Cabiria, and Cabiria. we're going to talk about La Dolce Vita. All right, uh, come after on back. the break. Two people, one movie, so many opinions. Welcome to the Mandate. Brought to you by Cinepunks.com.
Heidi has selected the topic for this, this conversation, that being the movies of Federico Fellini. Josh, had you seen, what Fellini movies had you seen before we watched these three for the episode? I watched Prospero's books okay. a long time ago, um, and I watched part of Eight and a Half, but I never finished it. I saw Eight and a Half first, which was a bad idea. Right. Because Eight and a Half is a commentary on Fellini. So it's like, it's like, it, it's literally like reading someone's autobiography who you don't know who they are. Yeah. It's but like it's not reading. even a full autobiography. It's like, I wrote this, th- this autobiographical, autobiographical thing sort of commenting on myself. And I'm like, who are you? But I watched it anyway. And that was weird. And then I somehow have had the opportunity to see two Fellini movies in the theater on 35. Wow. That's awesome. Those are Satyricon wow. and Amar- Amarcord. Mm-hmm. Um, Did Satyricon have anything to do with the metal band of the same name? Uh, I believe so. Satyricon, I think, is is it based on like a Greek or a Roman text or something like that? Yeah. So I think that's where they get their name from too. Satyr and Frost, my friends. That's not true. I met them once, and it was amazing. They had corpse paint on. They came to a record store that I was working at, and they totally had corpse paint on just to do promo. But like, they were like Satyr and Frost, these two dudes in this metal band. I was like Satyricon. Isn't that a Fellini movie? That's how the <laughs> that's how the story connects. That's how oh the story connects. I'm sorry. So those are the only things I've seen. And Satyricon and, and Armor Cord are definitely more... I mean, I don't know how to describe his later style. Uh, definitely not the realism of right. the first two movies we watched. Right. Especially Satyricon, which I can 100% confirm I don't know what the movie is. <laughs> yeah, that one's tough for me. So it's what, crazy. It's, it's a, a little crazy. It's what, crazy. what is your relationship with Fellini? Well, so Fellini is someone who... Um, the first film of his I saw was in an Italian neorealist class, uh, and it was neorealism sure. class, and it was called it was La Strada, and I was very moved by it. I thought it was so tragic, right. and um, I think I was also intrigued by the fact that you know his wife, uh, yep. Giulietta Messina, plays some tough parts. Yeah, you know, um, and I. I was really moved by it. And I thought of La Strada for our discussion because of, um, you know, I, it has like a, the ending is kind of, it's a very sad ending and it takes place on a beach and it's him alone. And I, I actually thought, sort of thought of that film when I was thinking about that moment in Namor when he's on when the he's beach. On the beach with the text and I just thought, yeah. what is a kind of like 2014, 2015 version of that moment? Um, sure. And so those were kind of the thoughts that went into it of someone who just like, keeps getting it wrong yeah you know like he just he he knows how to the only way he knows how to love is through like really bad just not the right way it's just not the way to do things sure you know Mm -hmm. so i think that's where i i sort of entered la strada and then um the other films at knights of kiberia i just i think it's it's one of those films where you're like, I know something bad is going to happen to yeah. this woman right. and I cannot peel my eyes away. Like I am, I know all of these things that she has faith in are not going to work out. And I'm so intrigued by that idea mm. of like, why would I keep watching? And I know it's not going to end well. Yeah. And there's something about that last look she gives at the so end. It gorgeous. just breaks my heart. It's like, Does she's, it? it just, the shield goes right up and then, she just has that, like, I, it's what film can do. I think right. it's like what film can do is just capture whatever it is in her face mm-hmm. that is like, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Um, and it just melts my heart. Like, I love that ending so much. Sure. Um, and then um, 
Yeah, the other film. Oh my God, I'm blanking La on Dolce it. Vita. La Dolce Vita, obviously. Um, I again, from a story level, I'm intrigued about a character who does not change. Yeah, he does not change. Things, well, everything so, changes around. Things him. keep happening to yeah. him, and I I thought of that when I was writing Stephen. Of like, how mm. do you make that about like you know someone feeling stuck, someone bored, and make it so beautiful and gorgeous and vapid, and that's what mm. La Dolce Vita is about, you know. It's weird because it, his character doesn't change, but I I I feel like something changed. Oh, I didn't want to jump into the last movie first. <laughs> no, but, no, let's well, do it. But I just want to respond to that because I'm thinking like it's true. He doesn't grow in the sense of forward momentum, but I feel like his boredom at the beginning of the film is one I actually uh, identify with because it's a boredom with hope. In the sense of like, uh, he looks at, oh, what's his friend? Steiner. He looks at mm-hmm. Steiner and he's mm-hmm. like, my life could be like Steiner's yes. life. I yeah. could write things and have interesting friends and be in love with someone and yeah. love our children and whatever. And folk singers <laughs> playing at your parties. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Is um, it Nico in there? I think she's she in there. She plays the yeah. actress, right? Yeah, she, yeah she's, she's one of them she's at the party. On, yeah, yeah. Later oh, later on, on yeah. later on. When okay. they get to the castle, she's the one that takes them yeah. into that's the That's right, that's and, right. And so what seems to happen for me also, is... Also, I love Nico. Go she's on. Great. Yeah, oh my God. Oh my God, I love it Nico. It seems like um, his boredom, stuckness... Again, it also reminded me of uh, what's the recent movie that came out about Rome? It's on Criterion now. It's something like Beautiful is in the title. Oh, um, Life is Beautiful. Not oh no, uh, um, the Grand the, 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 the Great, great Beauty, beauty. The great which beauty. I've not re- seen. Re- oh, it reminded me of the Great Beauty, though the Great Beauty could not even touch a Fellini film. But right. the point is, is that it's that same feeling. I think the Great Beauty wants to suggest of like, you know that one character in that one Fellini movie? That's all of fucking Rome. <laughs> that Rome is just all these privileged people who don't know how privileged they are. And they're just, just bored. sitting around yeah. bored, Fuck. surrounded by beauty, and they're just like like the Great Beauty seems to suggest we're here in the cradle of civilization. And isn't it so droll? <laughs> like 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 there's nothing but then it sort of ends on a point of Life is meaningless, but at least we live in the most beautiful place in the world, oh. so maybe it's not so bad. And I'm like, I love it, and I hate it at the same time. Yeah. Yes. It's 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 kind of it would be kind of like um, a vapid pop star whose entire <laughs> image is, "Don't pop stars suck? How vapid they are!" And they're yeah. so good at it that you go, "Ooh, maybe I actually like maybe that you're like a vapid that. pop star." Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's I'm what the great beauty that. is. Getting back or to pop star, never stop, never stopping the. Uh, Last Adam Sandler, or Adam uh, Sandberg, Andy Sandberg movie. Yeah, you ruined that whole joke. <laughs> no, it's not even a joke. That mo- that's what that movie is. I know, about. but I'm just saying. And I love it. You messed it up too many times for So it many times. Get used to it, Liam. So with La Dolce Vita, I think what happens is um, in his stuckness, in his feelings of empty Roman, sort of, I'm just doing whatever. I'm sleeping with people. I'm not sleeping with people. I'm idolizing See, but this it's, or that. it's also weird that he's not. It's it's only implied. You don't really know. No, no, no that's true. But, but like, let me finish my point, which is that in all of that, he still has this feeling of a future, that this is just what he's doing now. But at any moment, maybe he's going to finish his book or he's going to decide to do this thing. There's all this stuff. It's when, spoiler alert. Right. If you haven't seen it by now, <laughs> Steiner, Steiner, is that it? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. When he dies, when, yes. when right. it's when revealed get, yeah. that his life is a lie and that yes. he is unhappy and yes. that, all this stuff, that's when, the again, nothing really happens for him. Nothing. He doesn't change, but all of a sudden he's lacking that one thing 
that, that weird hopefulness. Hope. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's the fucking worst. He's like that riding the lady around. So painful. It's very hard to watch. So I remember being grossed out by it when I first saw it because I was like, this is humiliating. Right. Yeah. This is humiliating. But I will say, though, that like the that so I, I have mixed feelings about it in this way. And again, I didn't want to start with the last movie, but let's just get into it, which right. is that, um, you know, the feeling about Fellini is that maybe he doesn't like women very much, you know, and that from the variety of characters and, you know, even what may be seen as his defense of himself, eight and a half, seems to suggest that maybe you're not wrong about that, that it's complicated. <laughs> but what I... The thing that I don't think hear people talk about enough in La Dolce Vita is the self-loathing. That mm-hmm. if this is his first autobiographical character, eight and a half is so him, but this is kind of him in some ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, let's not ignore the self-loathing. Now, of course, as someone who is inclined towards feminism, self-loathing doesn't actually absolve you. But I don't see enough people writing about it when they uh, write about Fellini. That... Mm-hmm. that Whatever his feelings are towards the women in his films, his hero is not a hero at all. He's a protagonist. Yeah. He's a Definitely. tragic figure. He's someone who is flawed from moment one. And I think what was interesting about um, the review, Josh sent me something that Roger, Roger Ebert, Ebert wrote yeah. about it. Roger Ebert sort of said, like, yeah, when I was 20 and maybe even 30, I thought, like, there was something cool yeah, about this, this guy. Where I yeah. be. But now, as yeah. an adult, as an older older man and I first quit. i kind of loathed him like god this guy's the worst yeah and now i love him but i love him because he's flawed and fucked Definitely. up and yeah. you know what it's mean? more like, of a pity Roger Ebert yeah. never wrote fucked up in his life but you know what he i mean he said it like, was a piteous thing yes yes like, yeah. but see that's the thing like for me the main the main distinction of this character isn't this weird um escaping hopefulness sure it's the detachment and that is what makes the character that all these things are happening like you said but he's completely detached from all of it. Right. And you never know like where, what his stake in any of this is. Right. And that, to me, is, is the most fascinating thing about this movie. To be fair, I love this movie. Do you think he's detached, though, when Steiner dies? That's the only moment. That's the only moment. But I think that's why his character suddenly loses all of its charm. It's like the only thing that was connecting him was to humanity to was like, this vision of who Steiner, went, which is weird because he even admits they don't spend that much time together. But yeah. maybe it's not just Steiner, but it's like Steiner is the example the idealiz- of what he the, hopes for himself. The idealization of what he projects for himself. I don't know. Steiner I'm, is that. He, yeah. He, you could tell when he speaks to him in that scene at the party that this is what he wants, that this is what he's aiming towards. Yeah. But let's go back to La Strada for a little bit here. Yeah. yeah. Um, full disclosure, didn't see it. <laughs> only because the copy that I had didn't have subtitles and I thought that oh, would be a critical yeah. yeah and also my only experience with La Strada prior to this is the scene in Annie Hall where uh, Woody Allen's in line to see the movie and then the dude's talking about La Strada and he's like it's so indulgent it's his most indulgent film and then Woody Allen is like I wish I could hit that guy with a sock filled with horse manure and he's <laughs> like if only, and he's talking about McLuhan and all this stuff and I then he pulls McLuhan well. out into the scene I love, I love that scene yeah. I love yeah, that yeah, scene yeah. so much <laughs> That's the only experience with La Strada that I've had. And then I watched like the first five minutes and I was like, wait a minute, there are no subtitles in this movie. I'm going to be screwed for the episode. And here we are. We'll not be screwed. (laughs) I love that you did that because I was definitely going to not call you out at all. I was going to have a discussion. Full disclosure. That's just how I appreciate that. That's what happens. I'm sorry. I think we can talk about it. You know, you and Liam definitely can. I'll just hang back. Here's question one. I wondered if you knew. What does La Strada mean? 
Oh, I think I forgot what it means. La Strada. What does it mean? I looked this I'm up. I'm going to guess point. the star. I wanted to say the star, but then I'm like, I'm I'm in, I, I'm, I'll look it up, but let me ask a different question. Yeah. Do you think, what did you think of this characterization? Uh, let me look it up, Liam, since I didn't see the movie. Uh, that his wife plays. Is this woman, she just naive? Um, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, is, I she, is she there is. something going on? Like, I, I just didn't understand in some extent what her, what, what her care, what's going on with her character. Yeah. Well, I think Jelsamina is her name. I think right. she represents a childlike innocence, you know, and uh, to me. And I think it's something, um, and I'm forgetting the main character's name. I thought, what's the Anthony Quinn character? Um, uh, I'm forgetting. The yeah. street. It means the street. Sorry. The street. So this is, uh, yeah, the road, the street. The road, so yeah. This is my inclination. Yeah. Is this also, and I'm basing this purely on the, how the word was used in other parts of other movies. Mm-hmm. Could it also go for the way? Yeah. Like, is there like a double meaning here of like, yes, it's the road, but it's the road in the sense of the way. In other words, do we think there's some weird Catholic stuff going on in this movie? Oh, I think there's a ton of Catholic stuff going on. Because there's a sense for me when I was watching it. it. Do you think there's something going on here with this like sacrificial woman thing that she's like giving something to him? And and part of the part of the um, tragedy is not just that he's an asshole but that she has sacrificed something for him and he's missed that. Yeah, I think it's a film about um, someone who doesn't know how to love. Mm. And, I, and I think it's about a man who doesn't know how to love, you know? Mm. And I think that that is the tragedy, mm. you know? And, uh, and I think that's why, I, you know, in all this exploration and dialogue about, like, getting more, you know, women and talk you know to direct and talk about things like that i think like part of what i hope is adds to this discussion is is a really like deep exploration of masculinity and not just these kinds of superficial things and i think it's it's a pretty deep exploration of what that is and i you could argue fellini has a kind of like whore madonna complex i mean some of my anxiety was about is what she feels for Again, it begins with a Z. What is that? I know. It does begin with a Z. And I I was like, (laughs) I know it's not. Yeah. Is what she's feeling for Anthony Quinn love? Or is it just like idolization? Like it, there, there's some extent to which as much as the movie deconstructed Quinn in a way and really put the spotlight on him, something about her character just made me feel weird. Mm. I don't know what it was. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's his wife and it's a difficult character she's playing. But, you know, we could compare it to Kabiria, even though Kabiria herself has her own brand of naivete and makes her own. She still seems to have some more agency and she makes sense to me. I get why she's making these decisions. Yeah. Whereas uh, the character in La Strada, I'm like, why, why does she put up with it? Is it just because she doesn't know any better or is there some valorization of that that i'm that i'm not cool i think it's a combination of the two i think it's a combination of the two i think for me it's like you could argue very it's an abusive relationship but there's love there um that she has for him and um and he can't see it you know and that's kind of the cycle of it um 
but I, I do believe in Knights of Kiberia. It's like the whatever of those, like that bifurcation of like, she's a whore, she's this, you know, like she's the she's wife. still innocent. Yeah. And like, yeah, like I think you see a combination of the two yeah. reali- be fully realized in Knights of Kiberia because she is a prostitute, but she's also someone who, like, yes, she uses her body, but she's also aware that she uses her yeah. body. And she's also a believer. She believes in love. She believes the next guy is going to be the right guy. And, and we, as an audience, kind of know it's not going to be. Yeah. Well, I think well, that's, that's the thing about Knights of Kiberia. There's a strange element of whimsy to that movie that is definitely like diametrically opposed to the reality of the story, wherein she is prostitute and she, she works on the lower end of that. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like, it just seems so, again, carefree in the delivery of the story, mm-hmm. which I thought was very intoxicating. Which is so hard to do because, mm-hmm. I, you know, the more I get to do this... Um, more I've been able to do this, you know, as far as directing is concerned, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so easy for a set to get heavy and serious and stuffy. And I think it's such a gift if you can keep it light and at, and feel whimsy, like by the time you're shooting something and by the time it's in the editing suite, the whimsy could is, is vacuumed out, you know, and and to to keep that is such a treasure. I think mm-hmm. that's something that if a director can do that, even with such heavy storylines, yeah, is such that's the talent to me. Yeah, you know. So, um, was this is this is like a weird question, but it's mm-hmm. something that I was thinking about. I wanted to get your input on, and I would get Josh's opinion to the movie. <laughs> was Anthony Quinn dubbed in La Strada? I everybody believe was dubbed, everybody right? was dubbed. But I, I mean, do. was he dubbed? Such that it wasn't even him. You know what I mean? Oh, like, interesting. I assumed it was him. Um, I, I know they. I don't know. It didn't sound like his voice. To it me. it didn't, didn't sound anything like his voice it to me. But I could be wrong. It dark, <laughs> deeper. It sounded yeah. like a deeper version of him. But just this, uh, this guy with this growly, very growly. But Maybe I assumed it's the robust it was him. sound of him in his youth. I assumed it was him. I assumed it was like kind of added on. He's his never looked young to me. Mm, like even in no, this movie, yeah. when he's doing the strongman thing, I'm like. My yeah. man does not look like he's up for this task <laughs> at all. I mean, I get that all he does is break a chain with his chest. But even in that, I'm like, yo, you sure you got that, bro? Yeah. Are you okay? That's funny. Yeah, you know the other actor I thought that about the recently is Lance Henriksen. I saw a movie with Lance Henriksen from like 1970, and my man looked old and balding. I was like, dog, really? Like, what have you been eating? Cigarettes? Like, come on, bro. But no, sorry, I digress. <laughs> not not pertinent to our discussion about the movie so, I didn't see. So, I mean, I think that, um, again, because I want Josh to feel involved, I'm going to compare the two. <laughs> La Strada compared to Knights of Kiberia. I mean, not that La Strada isn't an effective tragedy, but it begs the question, and this is related to one of our favorite directors, right? who's hugely problematic, Lars von Trier, mm-hmm. who wants to argue that you can't really explore suffering without female suffering because women just suffer more and more explicitly and you just right. have to do it, which is super reductive and problematic, even if the movies he makes are really amazing. That said, Some though, he cast his wife in these roles. But that's what I'm saying. So I wonder with Lestrada, there's a part of me that's like, you actually get not the same story, but a similar effect in both movies. Right. But Kabiria, which is not her real name, her real name is Maria, but right. mm-hmm. the character has a kind of agency to me, even yes. if everything goes wrong for her. Yes. She's making a decision in to a lot of ways. Keep it moving. Yes. Yeah. Whereas I never feel like, um, what was her name again? I already forgot it. 
her name in um, uh, La Strada. In La Strada, uh, Gelsimina. Gelsimina never is given the opportunity in the story to do much of anything other than the few opportunities she can choose to do something else. But as a viewer, I never believe, you know, when the fool is talking to her, I never believe she's going to leave. When the fool, even when the fool has uh, died, I don't really believe she's going to leave, even though she's traumatized and it's hard and whatever. I just never really believe in her ability to choose differently. Mm -hmm. And I get that that has an effect, but there's just some part of me that had a problem with that. I don't know. I just don't know how to like conceptualize that, even though it doesn't take away from the fact that it was a great story and a great movie. Yeah. Her performance is, is her face acting is what I want to say. Like Mm. in the, her Her Tom Hardy, she looks, yeah, Yeah. her Tom Hardy. You so could you could have you could have put her in a car. <laughs> so true. You, could, you couldn't have filmed it at the time, but <laughs> you could have put her in a like. car for an hour and a half, and she would kill it. It's well, so there. Good. Uh, also, full disclosure, there was a moment where I was like, maybe if I just read a bunch of criticisms on this movie, I can fake my way through the discussion. But I didn't. But I will say that I did read a lot on it, just because I I didn't see the movie, and sure. um, one of the one of the prevalent things I saw across multiple reviews is the implication that she is somehow compromised like she is like got a like a mental deficiency mm. and that's why she acts the way she does throughout the movie mm-hmm. what do you think about that i just think that's redu- as i didn't see it what do you think i think it's reductive what do you think i don't know yeah i know i i think i i don't know if i see it as that i think she's just someone who represents purity and mm. innocence and maybe that's so reductive and maybe that is reductive in its sense but to me, it's it's his, it's it is about his inability to see this beautiful thing that he has with him, mm-hmm. and that's ultimately like I think that's why like I think those films La Dolce Vita and uh, La Strada are are about a very painful male suffering. Yeah, yeah. Like if you think about it, it's like these there's no redemption for these guys. They don't have it. Um, in Knights of Cabiria, she has a shot. Yeah. Right. Even and with the end, even with her final tragedy, mm-hmm. I feel like the point of the denouement is to say she's going to keep going. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's yes. it's actually affirmative, regardless of how it people is. feel about his uh, characterization of her and the other women in the movie. The rest of the movie, right? Yeah, he hasn't taken away the hope for Kabiria. She's there's something in her future, you know? Yeah, right. right, right. And you sense that she's the one that's in charge of it. That she's um, directing that. in La Strada. I mean, this dude's on the beach crying, and we know, you know, yeah, he realized what he had, but it's mm-hmm. way too late. Yeah, yeah, and I you wonder know? to what extent that comes from. Fellini's own painful sense of self. You know, I always went there, and I know everyone's like, "No, don't think that you assume what the director's going through." But um, I think that was a big issue for him. You know, it's at least a theme he's touching on, it, even if that theme is, um, how do I want to put this? Even if that theme is self-serving, that mm-hmm. he's more in touch with his feelings in the movie than he ever was in real life. True, which is entirely possible. True. Yeah, even if that's true. That's still part of the process. Like you know what I mean? Like, granted, I don't know him and I don't know what he was thinking, but it seems irrational to me to suggest, sure, he touched on this male self flagellation yeah. over yeah. and over, but it wasn't really part it of who he was. Thing. You don't bring it up that often. Yeah, you know no. what I mean? It's yeah. definitely I mean, it's an artist in his work, right? Like it's ultimately a reflection of his perspective. Sure. Mm-hmm. So why would that not be a thing that's real? And I, you know, I haven't seen the films in a, in a little bit of time, and I, 
it's funny like watching these films understanding like okay this was a man behind the lens and and maybe i might see things differently you know with with like the years i have on me but i i don't know i think something about his films have always felt um yes like catholic but dealing with um just the inability to see what's in front of you you know uh and i think that that's a real and and that's such an it's such a beautiful thing to do in movies because there's such there's such beauty in his films you know, yeah. so he's like, it's almost like he's seeing the wrong things, you know? I, I will say that for me, Lestrada was the only one that actually was thematically Catholic. I think yes. that Catholicism is his cultural. He can't make a movie in Italy and not have Catholicism have something totally. part of the culture. Yeah. But neither Knights of Cabiria nor La Dolce Vita has those uh, themes of sacrifice and blood in those same ways uh, woven into the plot. The way that Lestrada does, like for me, Lestrada, what I'm thinking about is this idea of the sacrificial woman, of Mary mm-hmm. at the feet of Jesus, of that idea of um, of even the feminization of Jesus, that mm-hmm. part right. of his suffering yeah. makes him beyond gender because men don't suffer that way. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Like So all that to say, all that felt Catholic in a very specific way to me, whereas yeah. the scenes in... So let's talk about La Dolce Vita. It opens the scenes with, with the scene of Jesus flying, the statue of Jesus beautiful flying. Beautiful yeah. yeah. I love and, that beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. But it doesn't feel like the theme in the movie. It's more about that character mm-hmm. and religion is in the background, but it's not as present in the themes of what he's going through. Even the Mary thing seems to be more about how intangible women are to him Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole movie, you know, whether it's yeah. his, the woman who's throwing herself at him or the woman he wants to be with, yeah, he can't connect with them. They're not yeah. there. He's no, there's totally. like a gulf between him and them. And I mean, I, that's yeah. partly what's going on. Exactly with the, Mary the scene in um, the Trevi Fountain scene with uh, him oh, and yeah. the American so actress. Great. What's her name again? Um, Nic- Nicole Eckberg. Nic- yeah, Nicole Eckberg. Yeah, is it Anita Eckberg? Anita, it's something Eckberg. You're right. If only there was an internet. There was an right. internet. If only I'm there was some type a, of thing. A, an a, an a. I'm <laughs> very bad with names. There's a scene when he comes to her in the fountain, mm-hmm. and he doesn't touch her, mm-hmm. and like he brings his hands right up against her, and he doesn't touch her at all. And that, to me, was that was like the entire kind of crux of what I'm looking at here, mm-hmm. which is a man who wants but cannot connect. Yeah. And um, that was. I mean, I know they talk about that scene a lot, but that's definitely one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's one, I mean, it's, there's so many iconic scenes and yeah. I, speaking of the beginning too, I, I almost think like it's, he's saying at the very beginning, you see this is, it's a statue of, is it Jesus? It's Jesus, know, it's yeah. Jesus And it's being carried by this helicopter and mm. I almost think it's like feigning religion, you know, like, oh, look at Jesus flying through yeah. the air. And well, but it's I mean, being carried by a helicopter and I just think there's, it's like saying right away, like, the falsehood. We, this is moving, we are, this is not real now. Right. Like we're moving into a well, very and I wonder, world. I wonder how that relates. One of the themes in the movie that I thought was really interesting that I didn't know, I don't have an answer for this, right. but the role of the paparazzi mm-hmm. In the film, that constantly these they're there, they're present. Yeah. And when we first see this Jesus statue, he's with this thing yeah. as like covering it. Like the Jesus statue is like the guy at dinner with his not his wife. Right. Like, this is all just part of Rome and Rome well, see, scene and whatever. And so I wondered how that scene related to that theme and how the themes of the film, his disconnect and his idolization of women, were connected to paparazzi culture. He invented that word. 
Right. Because <laughs> of that movie. Though. Yeah. Right. But, but, um, but you know what I mean? Like that that's the... But, and correct me if I'm wrong, is there another movie where we see that... I don't think I've ever seen another a, a film before that one where we see that phenomenon yeah. of... Yeah. The photographers chasing down the celebrities right, or the right, right. or the yeah. victims of murder or whatever it is. Yeah, I'd never really seen that before either. Or uh, since think honestly. about it. Yeah. I mean it was was it nineteen sixty when they made that film? Yeah. yeah. Uh but yeah, that was a that was new. I, I had never really seen that before well, either. The other thing that I read also is the juxtaposition of that first scene with the final scene where they find the dead sea ray mm-hmm. and how the first scene is the Jesus, but it's false. And the last scene is the Jesus, but it's real and ugly. Mm-hmm. So, and that was, apparently there's a palindromic, like, hmm. folding of this movie where the scenes correspond with each other. Wow. Which, yeah, I mean, the exact middle of the movie is when he is typing in yeah. the restaurant. Yes. And with failing. the young lady. Yeah. And he's interacting with this young woman, the most sort of innocent woman in the film. And, yeah. you know, I thought his interactions with her were funny to me because it's like, he doesn't know how to talk to any woman without flirting. Yeah. yeah There's yeah, no yeah. interaction with any female except for his wife because he's screaming at her. Right. They're screaming at each other. But you know what Dude, I mean? Like, that wife character is brutal. Yeah. Holy brutal. shit. That it opens with her suicide attempt. That that's her introduction. That was really brutal. Uh, oh, that's really goodness. brutal. But what well, I like about the and the final scene with the young girl is they, they can't communicate with words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he... He just kind of gives up. We'll never up. understand her. And he, yeah. there's something like ineffable about her. Like she's just, she'll never be pinned down and he'll never know. And I don't know. There's something really but lovely I, I, about that. To also me. a final scene on a beach. Uh, on a beach. Yes, He's true. big yeah. about the cathartic beach scenes. For him, I think they are. I always thought of like baptism and water yeah. and just yeah. kind of renewal. And I think huh. there's a like few that things thing. that are in each movie that you, if you watch them in a row, you kind of notice like, um, the exotic performer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the like, clubs have to have some yes. not Multi, Italian person yeah. I know, performing. Which kind of maybe doesn't age so well now to me. Uh, I'm always only, like, Ooh. The only part where the it was black so. The with the horse tails is a little bit weird. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that was weird, but there's only one part that is completely painful to me where I'm like, okay, this is actually now moved into offensive, mm-hmm. which is what the is? old man's speech about Oriental women. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And That's the oh, yeah. person in the room to which he is basically talking because she's the one she's woman there who's guitar. of Asian descent. Yeah. She never gets to talk. Yeah. So every <laughs> Italian woman in the room gets to let him know, or American, some of them are, yeah. let him know, you're a pig and blah, blah, blah. Like, they all get to have an opinion. But the only actually Asian person <laughs> in the room you stay she doesn't silent. get to talk yeah yeah keep singing yeah, there. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. and again cool. i don't want to say because that's i mean i'm sure that's the case in every movie at that time and, they, and i'm not trying to say like fellini's the worst but it was the only part like the exoticism thing yeah you could have pulled it as hey look we're in this center this i mean there's a sense collector in, well there's a sense in which the this is the center of italian culture like rome right yeah. and what he shows us of rome is never like look at the art it's always look at the trashy street Look at where the prostitutes <laughs> hang out. Look at the... He's never... And then when we finally see culture in some sense, it's not Italian. Yeah. Every yeah. time there's a performer, they're playing rock and roll yeah, or they're playing Spanish music or they're playing Asian... You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no one is ever, like, doing Italian things yeah. in, in, in a artistic sense. It's true. And why is that? You know, like, that's... In, it, and I don't know if that's... It's hard for me to know. Again, this is where you break down trying to say the director is he critiquing that is he saying like 
oh, this is bad because there Italy is no actually, weird indigenous. Like Italy has art. Why, yeah. why, why is it that, that part of Roman culture? Or is he trying to make a case that Rome is like this uh, nexus metro- of all these different. It's metropolitan. Yeah. We're so metropolitan yeah. here. Look at all these Americans who are here. Look at all these. <laughs> yeah. So it's you could go either way. And I don't know what he's trying to do, but I, I could see it either way. I'm not right. sure. Yeah, I think you could go both ways on that. You know, but it's weird, right? It it's is definitely some of not it is normal. strange, yeah. and it's it's interesting to watch it with our with our eyes now and sort of see things and go, ooh, that makes me uncomfortable. But then again, wonder like, is that on purpose? And I don't yeah. know. I mean, even if it is on purpose, why is it on? What is he exactly. saying? Yeah, exactly. how do you get there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, though, like even as a modern viewer, there's something for me about the uh, Kabiria character in Knights of Kabiria that I was just like. I'm surprised by this character. Right. Because the whole point of her in that story is to be, in some sense, I don't want to say pathetic, but that sort of emotional, like you feel yeah. for her. Yeah. But it still feels a little triumphant at the end. It I don't does. know what to make of that. Dude, the most beautiful scene in that movie is when she's hypnotized. I and remember that. That scene oh, is yeah. so gorgeous. Like, it's, it's so, so beautiful. And it's so telling of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it definitely made me feel like, is this the version of like the trope today of the pixie woman that's mm. always like the uh, the intangible, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I thought maybe this is the Italian 1960s version of that, mm-hmm. of your, uh, what's that, Sparks movie? Oh, Ruby Sparks. Oh, Ruby yeah, Sparks like is it the version Sparks. of that? Is she yeah. that? You know what I mean? Like this strange, like not again disconnects a very strong theme in this movie i think because she goes through all the shit and again she's got the straight eyebrows and she like has this charlie chaplin-esque yeah connection to all the events that are happening that are very dour Mm -hmm. so is that what it is like is that disconnect the story that's what i thought about while i was watching the movie so yeah i i i don't know i remember watching it i was in film school when i saw it for the first time it was like a friday night and everyone was out and i was like i'm watching knights of kabiria and i just remember <laughs> being like <laughs> way to let us in on your, yeah, on your like, college I'm gonna experience sit on my futon and watch this movie um that sounds like and that. i really i was so moved by it again yeah. i i just felt like i don't know she she just goes through so much shit and she just believes she yeah. wants to believe and i i don't know what it, it was like she'll and and i love that she ends alone she's not with mm-hmm. a guy we know no one's gonna come and rescue her even though she doesn't totally believe that either i think she thinks that like someone's gonna Nor come in she, she also doesn't kill herself she doesn't <laughs> which is like that to me is also a very fascinating part of this of this picture that mm-hmm. she's begging him to kill her because he's taken everything and she doesn't do it herself. She, she doesn't, doesn't fucking jump off the cliff. No. So, fascinating. There's something about resilience, and I don't know. It just, it really, it, it was, I was, this, that the look in her eyes is like, probably just, it will, it's burned. You yeah. know, certain things are burned yeah. into your no, head. It's so and good. that's one of those things for me. But. Also, full disclosure, I watched all of these movies yesterday. Oh, wow. On my day off. So, so by the end of it, I wanted to wear sunglasses inside and smoke <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> Like I need a smoke. I was I was actually <laughs> I, I was actually thinking you might invest in like a Vespa. Definitely oh no God. cigarettes and sunglasses. Is what I responded yeah. to. I was mm. I haven't had a cigarette since September fifteenth, two thousand nine. And yesterday I was like, you know what though, I could just have one. Those movies do inspire that, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but Marcello just looks so. Dude, can we talk about him suit. for a little bit? Yeah, yeah So he like that amazing. that character, like what he's doing in La Dolce Vita, it's unbelievable. He is yeah. so good. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I haven't seen Eight and a Half, but I imagine he's in that as well, right? So I imagine he's kind of like Fellini's muse. Like he's he the guy that Fellini projects all of himself onto. Yeah. So good. Great actor. Holy yeah, shit. Just talk about, I just, yeah, that just those, the glasses and the look, just everything. I mean, everything. what's crazy is that like a lot of what is not great about him is in earlier in the movie, but he somehow manages to embody those. I mean, a lot of the failures of men that are in those first two films we're talking about are in his character in La Dolce Vita, yeah. but he's so endearing. Yeah. How does he yeah. play that and Dude. then still be charming? I don't such know a how you do line. that. Yeah. I really don't. And he also I, looks both old and young at the same time, which I thought to be very interesting in La Dolce Vita. Like, he's so, you never can tell, like, is this an old dude that's doing old dude things or is this a young guy trying to cut his teeth? Yeah. It's like this weird dichotomy in that and and it's all in his delivery that's what makes it fascinating it's all his doing you know what i mean like i don't know i do people keep calling him a young man but all the people who call him a young man are themselves rather old right Mm -hmm. so i i get the feeling he's older than paparazzo Uh but he's not old you know what i mean yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah which is part of the I feel like the feeling of tension because yeah. he's accomplished something, right. mm-hmm. but he's not done yet. So what's the next? So that's where he is, is that, okay, we know who you are. You've done things. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do next? And that's actually a really tough place to be. I say as a 38 year old, <laughs> <laughs> 38 years young. <laughs> it's like, I've done some things, but not that much. Yeah. 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 That's what it feels like with him is people know him, mm. Yeah, but he's not, respected in the way that you would be if you had done a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he senses that about himself. He's like, I'm not doing that thing that, yeah, garners that kind of respect. The thing about the movie also is it's a series of nights and dawns, right? Like, and every dawn is disappointing in a way that every night is very um, exciting. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. And that's, that's the character, right? Like the ups and the downs of this lifestyle that he leads. But what do you guys think about the scenes with the dad? That was wild to me. That whole yeah. sequence when the dad goes to the party with him and he's hitting on the lady and they're oh, drinking yeah. the champagne. I that. Yeah. And then the next one, they go, he goes to, I don't know why it's stuck in my head, but the, <laughs> it's like four in the morning. He's like, where are you going? He's like, we're going to her house to eat spaghetti. <laughs> what? Of course we are. Yeah. So Italian. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a sense in which he, I mean, A, we're seeing something about the character there in that right. um, obviously what motivates him to some extent is this detachment from his father. Mm-hmm. So now he sees this open door of like, I'm connecting. And he's going father, for it. And I'm connecting to my father by this involving him in life. my life. I'm yeah. showing him what my life is like and he likes it. Mm. So then it's so fucking devastating when he leaves in the morning well, because he's sick. Like, yeah, like your life sick. made your dad sick. Like just one he's night sick. of and what you do he, every night. He doesn't want to be with him in the cab. No, he just wants to go to the train by himself. Like, what the fuck, man? That shit is so brutal. That part was heart crushing. Yeah. Crushing. It's but fascinating because it's, yeah. it's 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 actually in a sense kind of subtle. Like they don't play it up as. Yeah. And yet it still is like devastating yeah, yeah and i think he's really good at that too at, at creating these moments of like they don't feel huge but that we know they are yeah. you know he doesn't mm-hmm. like 
melodrama dramatize them you know it's it's a it's a bad thing that happens it's really and it is heartbreaking and like this this his his dad isn't proud of him it's like that's what you feel you know and i think that that's there's so many other ways that that can be expressed and and Mm. that's the way he does it and it you feel it yeah you know it's like a gut punch i i was also thinking about the um we talked a little bit about how painful the final party is. Yeah. But before that, we have this rich person party. Where they're walking through the catacombs and all that. Fucking psychotic. Yeah. Who are these people? I don't fucking know. What is wrong with them? And he is the perfect guide through it because he's unsettled in a way. He's not unsettled the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, and he's not a rich person like they are. So it's like this weird, like at first I was like, is this just what rich people do? Like hang out in <laughs> castles with like fucking capes and shit? <laughs> But then I was like, dude, maybe he's just his it, that is like the one weird expression of this class issue in this movie mm-hmm. where he ascribes to be part of this cast that he is not a member. Yeah. Of. Yeah. And that's, again, more of this weird disconnect that yes. ends in this strange like scene with that lady with the white hair. Well, the white streak in her hair, the skunk hair. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think it speaks to that alienation that he feels that he doesn't yeah. really know where he belongs. Um, and I, I liked that he, he's sort of, he's trying different things and yeah. he's and he's from this, oh. it just, And yeah, then there's the, the commonality of that lady from the first scene Yeah, and she's speaking to him through the fountain and oh, then she's making yeah. out with the other dude and he's yes. talking real to her. Damn, it's like, oh, hurt piece. It's like terrible. It's yeah. Everybody's kind of playing each other, and yeah, he's getting played. And you and get the feeling that that's not even her real name, and all this other stuff. And it's so it's so alienating. It's it, really yeah. It's it's yeah. a tough film, you know. It really is. It's it's not easy, but I I don't know. I I did think about it. I thought about it a lot when I was I was writing no more because I yeah. thought. Yeah, how do you make such a passive character so compelling? Yeah. And he really is so compelling. You know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he doesn't have a home. Brutal. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. Dude. It's funny because this this is, uh, there's a, all three of these films have moments. Two of which I've seen. Sorry. Have moments that are of a lightness, you know, that are like this fun. You know, and it it reminds me of Eight and a Half in the sense that, like, Eight and a Half could be viewed as this, like, comedy, like a goofy whatever, (laughs) if it wasn't revealing all this shit about this guy who's already established. Like, Eight and a Half is such a self knowing movie of, like, I am Fellini. So now I'm going to make this movie and show you a bit of who I am. Granted, fabulation. He's doing a good bit of fabulation, sure. But there's still a revelation in fabulation. Right. You know, there's a revelation in mythology. And so he's going to reveal himself while concealing himself. And yet, it's like kind of funny in a weird way, even as it's like super critical and cynical in, in another way. Yeah. But that's the same in these movies. There are there are few moments. Lestrada is the most depressing. Lestrada is really tough. But there yeah. are a few humorous moments, mostly be because of her, because yeah. of her characterization. And the fact that that character, the, what bums me out about the idea that she is in some ways developmentally not quite there right. is I think she's just funny. Like, I think she's just playing yeah. a classic clown character, yeah, which we're she. interpreting as like whatever. But I think what goes against that is like later on in the movie when she's learned how to play the trumpet beautifully. Mm-hmm. Right. 
you know, or she's in other words, there is something about her that is the artist. And remember, he uh, the one that what a, uh, you wouldn't remember you didn't watch it, right? Because I didn't see it, but go on. The thing about Lestrada is he keeps referring to himself as an artist, yeah, the artist's life, yeah, excuse me, the artist's life, the artist's life. My man breaks a chain with his weak ass chest, <laughs> right? It's not even a big chest. <laughs> He, he, he's not even an it's athlete. It's the chest that's in question. How big is the chain? That's what I want to know. He's not even an athlete, let alone an artist. But that's right. the whole thing for him is I'm living the artist's life. Well, she actually seems like she could be an artist. Yeah. Mm. She's actually a performer. She's the yeah. more, con- yeah, more self So, uh, not to get too wrapped up on that, but then to say, like, what did you guys think of that? Like, all three of these films, as dark as they are, have a weird, like, humorous yeah, aspect to them. Yeah, a weird levity these weird, to them. funny moments about yeah. them. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the things I've responded to the most after watching these two movies that I saw. Yeah, I think it's really hard to do that, too. Yeah. And I think, like, to make... And that's how life feels, you know? It's, yes. it's like, genreless, and it, it can't be really categorized, and it's full of all these different notes, and it's really hard to do. I think, again, I'm realizing that on film sets. It's like, you could... I, I think I have a pretty good set. Like everyone, mm. it, it's a nice, it's a nice vibe. But uh, you could see how it could get serious and be drained of life. Yeah, and yes. um, wow. that must be such a tenuous line to walk. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like the the crew you have, and you know, you're mm. as a director, like everyone's kind of looking to you, and you kind of have to set the tone. And um, but I, I, you could easily see how like it could not be funny anymore. Yeah. It yeah. could just not have that and and he does that he does that really well and has all these other levels going on at the same time and it's gorgeous oh my it really god is. it is i mean that's the that's, dude, the the version of stunning. la dolce vita that we saw was the the remaster was it the criterion yeah it's so good it's so beautiful yeah breathtaking even yeah well the version of la strada at night's Kabiri i watched were also nicer because oh, I, I watched what's on filmstruck right oh, what's the great. Criterion thing. Yeah. yeah yeah i basically are you happy with filmstruck i, I joined join. only for these movies oh wow okay <laughs> in yeah fact, yeah in fact josh it's kind of my fault josh didn't watch la strada because we have access to the same copies right and i saw oh there's no subtitles so instead of texting josh josh there's no subtitles i said well i guess i'll just join filmstruck <laughs> so i joined filmstruck to watch these movies no and no josh no messages me yesterday there's no subtitles and i'm like oh, oh i knew this fact over a week ago <laughs> and i did not tell you because the, the, the problem is mine is my fault i know it it's because i'm, I'm too involved in too many things I, I finished a recording you know i've been doing things You're doing a lot not watching the movies until the day before like an idiot you know what I mean? Like that's my problem. Nah, I get that. It's a lot. It's a lot to to do. That for. said, this was one of my. I mean, yesterday was one of my favorite days of film in a long time because I saw mm. these two and then followed it by Dunkirk. Oh, nice! And yeah. it was like I was totally gratified on all three fl- flicks that I saw. That's, so, thank you for, for oh, picking this as a topic. I'm glad too, that by the way. you guys wanted to delve into this. I did. Well, and it's not the end for us. Like. It was kind of like we did the Coen Brothers episode. It yeah. was like, okay, well, that was three. Yeah, we could so talk much about more. the rest of these. Like the same with yeah. Fellini. It's like, okay, we've covered that. Now we can do something else. We you can know what do I mean? Eight like, and a so, half. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, which maybe you'd like to come back for. And oh we my can discuss god! Further. I'd love we can to do, do this. Julia to the Spirit. Everyone, everyone, everyone says Liam doing, has to watch that movie. Whenever we, I tell someone we're doing a Fellini episode, they're like, "Oh, Julia to the Spirits." I'm like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> why that one? That's so funny." They say that. 
Is it? I haven't seen it. So yeah, so I know, I know, but that's know. like it's a later one, and I don't really know. Uh, it's so the funny. Most half of the people I'm discussing are related to me of a certain age, so I wonder if that was just what they saw in the theaters. Oh, right. maybe, maybe, yeah, because it's know. also it, it's it's in color, which I'll admit it's strange for me to see Fellini in color. I know right. Satyricon's in color, but I so associate him with books. black and white films. You know, yeah. yeah. So, ah, man, you know. such a good topic. And yeah. then soon we can do other Italian filmmakers. Like uh, <laughs> Joe D'Amato. <laughs> Joe D'Amato. <laughs> oh, Lordy. So, Heidi, what are you working Bruno on Bruno Mattei. <laughs> Bruno <laughs> Mattei. Sorry, I'm just naming all the exploitation. List them up. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's what's on the horizon for you? What yeah, are you plug, working on Plug now? some things. Plug yeah. some things. Um, you know, I'm writing. I'm just, I'm in yeah. that hole of writing, so I don't have much to plug, but I'm I'm giving myself a kind of schedule about writing to try to do it at least four times a week. It's awesome. Because, um, you know, you get home, you're tired, you don't want to do anything. So oh, yeah. uh, it's been helping me to do that. So I'm writing a feature, and I'm also writing a television thing. So That's awesome. Trying to see what I can do. Um and and go from there. Yeah, it's it's a period piece. It's set in 1970s. It would take me back to Cairo. Nice. Um, it's very I I can't even imagine trying to raise money for a period piece. But I'm like, don't think about the money. Just yeah. write it from your heart. It's also a little more genre. It has judo in it, and nice. um, it's just judo it's pushing me to, to sort of. I'm trying to embrace a little bit of genre. That's I would cool, like man. to do that. I appreciate that. Can I ask you yeah. a director question? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a chair with your name on it and a big cone? Um, you, you want to know something yeah. when, so I had to get a leave. I did seven weeks leave. My work gave me seven weeks leave to go make my movie to mm-hmm. make no more. And before I left, um, the crew at fresh air had bought me a director's chair with so my name on cool. it, which was just made me tear up. So what I about have the cone? It. Did you get the cone? I don't have the cone and Next I did movie, not use the cone. chair on the set, but we have it in our, in our home. So I, I anyone see listening it. who wants to hook Heidi up with the giant cone? No, no, no. No one listening gets to do it. Cinepunks will offer the cone for you on your next feature. Where are we going to get that? Cone. I don't care. I'm going to make it happen. I want All right, that cone. I'm into it. I'm I've into also it. thought I need to wear like not that I need to be. You're thinking about a million a other beret. things when you're directing, but Fellini always has this hat that I really like. I'm like, I want a hat. That's I want to so do cool. a hat. I love the pictures of directors who basically just go into like. Um, Hobo mode, when they yeah. Are, like <laughs> they just wear the same thing every day. And it's pictures of like, time, I know, dude. Pictures Chris of later Nolan, though. Chris Nolan looks sharp. Does like, he? He looks like he's wearing like a little three-piece like vest collar. No way. And I've heard I, he always has tea, like a decaf tea. Ooh, I don't even know what he looks like. I love these routines of people. Oh, he's so white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> dude, I was saying though, the Kurosawa look at the later films when he just looks like my dad. That shit is so dope. <laughs> It's like hard style bucket hat and sunglasses. Yo. It's hot. Righteous yeah. style, man. All about it. That's the Asian man I, I want to be when style. I get older. I would literally just want coffee at all times. <laughs> like I would be like, Arranged. if I was a director, I'd be like, look, I don't have any crazy requests other than coffee every day. If the coffee by my hand is cold and or empty, you must fix that solution <laughs> or you must solve that problem. Other than that, I don't care. I'll take care of it's myself. Fine. Yeah. I'm fine. I don't need anything. You keep on top of that fucking coffee, <laughs> and they just hot. That's like the one person. That's like, the thing they got to do. Yeah, they got to do that. And I guess if they're the coffee person, they have to laugh at my jokes. But right, that's it. right, right. No, so I just good. want. Uh, if I were to direct a movie, the only thing I'd want would be the chair and the cone. I appreciate that. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> is there is there anything else you want to plug, or someone else's thing you want to plug? If there's someone you think is mm. awesome that you want people to know about, 
Oh, I don't, do I want people? Oh my gosh, I don't even like filmmaking or just yeah, anything really, in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I a film I haven't seen. I mean, I guess she people know her, but I haven't seen The Bad Batch, and I'm curious about that. And I, I've no, I don't know if you have seen it or if you've seen her previous work. Uh, I'll be honest. Who's the director? Anna oh. Lily Amarpour. You know, from a girl she walks did home girl walks home. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, so I'll be honest. You didn't feel it. I'm ambiguous on it. Oh, so you saw it? I did. You weren't sure. I just think she's such a visually strong filmmaker, right. and I and I'm so struck by like even just the, the advertising. It's like I I feel like she's such a strong visual. It, it works visually. It works really well. Yeah. The only performance in it that is actually kind of fun is Keanu Reeves. Oh, cool. <laughs> I. I'm a fan of Keanu. I love Keanu too. Uh, we are John Wick. John Wick. So. Love both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't so seen them. Josh, anything I you want to plug, them. either yourself or somebody else? Uh, Kochiyama Records recorded. Um, Cross Keys vocals are almost done. So those two will be coming out soon. And uh, that's all I got. The only thing related to me is A, uh, Cinepunk stuff. Check out all the new shows. So um, many new shows. The numbers on the shows are not the numbers that are our numbers. And I would really like more people to check those shows out. Right. Because um, they're good. Yeah. I think they're really great. I especially, I shouldn't say especially. I don't have favorites. I'm, right. It's I'm, like your children. I'm, you can't love I one can't over love the other. I can't love one but I think you should check them all out. I'll leave it at that. Right. Um, and on a personal level, some people, I think, slowly discover that I'm on Twitter. And unlike Josh, I actually use Twitter. So you if do. you want to follow me on Twitter, that's at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. But to be fair... All I do is retweet people and then occasionally <laughs> complain about my diabetes. So it's up to you to, to decide. Um, as far as someone else's thing that I wanted to plug, um, I just had it in my brain. Oh, because you are a guest, I wanted to plug the Black Star Film Festival. Yay. Something that we oh, haven't yeah. talked a lot about. And I sort of put it out there that I wanted someone from uh, Cinepunks to go and cover it. Oh, yeah. So far, the response to that has been nil. Yeah. Um, I just think a lot of our best writers are not in the Philadelphia area, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and the ones who are in the Philadelphia area are just super busy. So it's hard. Right. It's difficult. Uh, but I'm hoping we can at least get to a couple screenings and get some coverage. That I, would be great. I think that's a fest so that cool. doesn't get the respect. Or the visibility. Or the visibility. Deserves. Let's say visibility. Because I think it's respected by people who know. Yeah. But as far as the visibility among the wider Philadelphia film community, doesn't get it. And, I, and it right. doesn't make sense because great movies play it. So. Right. Yeah. Right. I, and I, was have, I would love to plug it too because I, you know, we screened a more there last year and it was so wonderful. And um, I just think that um, I was a juror this year for the documentary category. Nice. And that was a lot of fun to watch those films. And I just, they're, they're doing great stuff. Like just the, even the panels that they're having this year, Ava DuVernay's coming to talk. Nice. Um, it's, it's going to be pretty special. And the documentary films were fantastic. Um, well, and I think that's the thing is that like I get, it's been around for a while and I think it started out small, but I think it's a very Philly thing to say like, Oh, this thing's small because it was small. 10 years ago or eight yeah. years ago, whatever, when it started. But now it's not that, that it's grown and it's really gotten established and it has a great movies. And I think it's, let's put it this way. It's better than some of the other film festival options in the Philadelphia area. Right. We'll just say that. Fair enough. It's, we'll just put that. Out. I, I believe that great. was where the review for Namor on Cinepunks came from last year's it screening. Did. Yeah, Welbrock, it did. It did. He wrote a lovely review. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And I, I loved just the energy of that festival. And yeah. I know Mayori who started it. Um, cause we both went to temple and, um, she's just like, 
an amazing yes. curator and yes. gatherer of talent and she just keeps they those people around things. her. They also just it's it her talent also spreads to just like people and music and art and like she works at the ICA. Like she's just you know, a tastemaker. Like awesome. so so Andrew great. pulled the classic Cinepunks move of writing one really good review and, and then, then never writing, writing again. again. He was really good. I, know, I really he's the best. that review. We always like, have someone who comes on, writes one really stellar thing and then disappears and then for all time. Pieces out and, and goes I'm like, back all right, to see being you later. I mean he's busy yeah. lawyering. Yeah, or I know. He I does. guess he's like Hey, I have an important job too. I know I still waste my life. But he's also he's also the bass player for the cross keys, so you know. He gets a pass. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Everyone in a band with Josh gets a pass. It's true. That's so many people. It's like 20 people. It's like way too many yeah, people. Yeah, it's too many people. <laughs> you, We could just have a conference of Josh bandmates. I know, and they'll all complain about me. <laughs> all right. Hey, Heidi, thank you for coming on. Thank, thank you so much. Hey, if thank you, you for fun. introducing us to these movies, because, oh. I mean, even though they're on the radar, like as film people, we should have seen them by yeah. now. This was the, the the reason that we did. And, and let us so go ahead and plug Namor. It's on Netflix, y'all. Oh, it's uh, it's you awesome. Have you have Wonderful no excuse movie. not to watch it. Thank it's yeah, amazing. So Super good. Um, we're really glad you were here to be with us. And Thank you for asking me. I loved oh, it. No problem. You're great. <laughs> uh, uh, what I should... Oh, yeah. So, hey, thank you for listening. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you use iTunes or if you use another podcast app, Rate, review, and subscribe up there. I'm not picky. Just give us those damn stars. We don't care. Yeah, do yeah. the Stitcher. I know well, we do love each and every one of you. On Stitcher. We love you guys. Yeah, yeah, we do. Thank you so much. Episode 67, Smoke Bomb.